Welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey, episode number 135, presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and I am done with Halloween and on to Christmas. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller, and he's done with Christmas and on to Halloween. Frank, how you doing? Happy November 1st. Happy November 1st. Where does November rank if you were to rank all 12 months? Um... Middle of the pack? Maybe? Middle of the pack, really? Um, maybe top four. Oh yeah, okay. See, now you're in my territory. I think it's a Mount Rushmore month for me for sure. I think. For sure. My fate my Mount Rushmore of months in no order are October, November, December, April. I love April. April's unreal. You got the end of March Madness. You got MLB starting up. The NHL and NBA kick off their postseason. The NFL draft. I mean, April rules in terms of sports. And the weather starts to turn in our Chicagoland area that we love so dearly. Yeah, I can't think of my Mount Rushmore. Interesting. And I'm curious. I'm definitely curious. I don't know what my least favorite month is. It used to be August, but recent life events have changed that for me. August is no longer at the bottom. Uh, I kind of hate February, but I love the Super Bowl. And I like Valentine's Day. But two days, just two days to find a month, the change the entire vibes of the coldest month of the year. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe Frank and I, we have different month opinions, maybe. But I don't know. You you probably like October, November, December a lot. I've always said October is my least favorite month. Wow. Besides, besides Halloween. What about sports? There, it's the only month with an equinox. I know, but oh, October rules, dude. I felt like throughout my life, October has been like worst luck. All like all bad things that's ever like happened in my life has happened in October. I, I understand that. I understand that. I I get that for sure. I can relate to that. I can relate to that. But you know, when I think about like, you know, the the things that in life that like bring me the most joy, also a lot of the time happen in October. Yeah. I mean, freaking hockey and football. Oh, my God. The World Series baseball. Man, baseball's it. kicking into November this year, too, which is fun. Might only be one game. We'll go over that in a little bit, though. Frank, we are going to start this show on a little bit of a somber note in period number one. Welcome to period number one, where we are going to talk about all things that make hockey so wonderful. But... Something happened over the over the weekend that it's considered a tragedy, obviously. But we have to talk about it because I like to spread awareness about things that can be preventable and about, you know, the game of hockey means so much to all of us. So when tragedy strikes, it's, it hits at home 
because like we've all played, we've all skated, you know, we, we all know what it's like to be out there having just the best time playing the best sport in the world over in Tottenham, England, Adam Johnson, former NHLer who's still relatively young. He passed away due to an injury that he sustained when he took a skate blade to the neck area and the injuries sustained from the play led to the end of his life. He was a player who realized his dream of playing in the NHL. He played 13 games with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was an outstanding player at the University of Minnesota Duluth. Um, I mean, he was born in the same year I was born, which is very, very sobering to think about. You know, he was my age, 28 years old, and I think he had already turned 29, though. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was it was crazy to hear this news. Nothing is worse than, you know, you hear something like this. I I just, I really, it's hard to find the words for something like this because he passed away playing the game that we all love so much. Um, For my own personal note, I I do wish his family, his friends, everyone around him, the, the most um, respect, love, peace, prayers during this incredibly difficult time. I, I hate talking about it, but I also feel the need to talk about it. Um, it's hard to not get emotional because, like, we watch hockey every single day. You know, my my life outside of my family, friends, and girlfriend are, are hockey. I love it. It is my favorite thing in the world. And someone lost their life playing it. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the things that I want to talk about in terms of preventing something like this from happening again. But Frank, do you have any words on Adam Johnson? I remember him playing in the NHL for a oh, brief so do I. Mm-hmm. I remember some of those games he's played in. Um, yeah, he played for the Nottingham Panthers. And the guy who hit him with the skate blade, he played for the Sheffield Steelers. It was a game uh, between those two. His name's Matt Peckgraves. Pete Graves or whatever. Horrifying accident. Immediately after I saw it, I thought of Clint Malarchuk. Do you remember him? Yep the goaltender who got his um, neck slashed by a skate uh, blade during a game. He was lucky enough to have survived the incident. I actually watched a little clip of him speaking on the incident. Um, But yeah, the fans were asked to evacuate the building. It was later announced, um, I believe at the hospital that he passed away. Um, But yeah, there's a lot going on with this. I know there's a police investigation underway. Um, Who knows what they'll find if they'll find anything at all, but it's a, it's a horrifying incident and you don't wake up thinking like your life's going to end when you go on a hockey rink or on hockey ice. So yeah, it's, it's horrifying. It is. And he was born and raised in Minnesota. He went to Minnesota Duluth. As I touched on, he scored one career NHL goal and it was against the Minnesota wild. And I, I sometimes think there's poetry in sports. Um, It's one of two. He has, I think it's four points in his NHL career. Two of his four points came in that game against the Wild. The other two, ironically, were against the Carolina Hurricanes. But he played recently enough to have one career game played against the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, you know, he played in a game against the Vegas Golden Knights, and you know, he was in the league relatively recently. I remember when he was at Duluth, and you know, they were so good when he was there. And then he plays in the NHL. Obviously, I'm not. Was he undrafted? He might have been undrafted. It doesn't really say it doesn't really say a draft status for him, so I'm assuming he was undrafted and ended up with the um, Pittsburgh Penguins, born in uh, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. So, and you know how I feel about the state of Minnesota and hockey there and all that. Um, I, I wish nothing but you know 
my condolences to the to the family. It's really hard. It's tough to talk about. And now the conversation has been brought up about neck guards in the NHL. And I know it's a pain in the arse to make equipment adjustments. It really, really is. It took them 20 years to get visors in the league. And I still think there's like three or four players left not wearing one. But mm-hmm. if you come into the league, you have to wear one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could be grandfathered in. Like, I can't remember. I'm pretty sure like Andrew Shaw and Brandon Saad, who Saad's on the older side and Shaw's retired. They were both part of the not grandfathered in class. They were like the first class that weren't grandfathered in. They had to wear one. They had no choice. I think like Ben still doesn't. Matt Martin, Revo. I can't really think of too many other players that don't wear one anymore. It took forever for that to end up being the case, though, because there was a point where nobody wore them, mm-hmm. right? Nobody wore the face vibe. And now that this happened with Adam Johnson, it's like, yes, it's reacting to tragedy, but like, the NHL so fast, the AHL so fast, these pro leagues in England and the SHL in Sweden, uh, the Swiss League, KHL, obviously, probably the second best league in the world. I, I'm i starting to become a proponent of if you're playing pro hockey, you should probably be wearing a neck guard because of something like this having a chance to happen. Even the wrists, wear the wrist guards too. If you slice, I don't know if you know this, if you slice right here really bad, you could die. Mm-hmm. There's a vein. I don't, I'm not, I'm not smart. I'm a doctor. Even I'm not a doctor, even though sometimes I play one on the internet, I'm pretty sure something can happen here. And then there's a spot in your leg where if you get really, really sliced, you can like an artery, right? Like an artery. that I think it's like your femoral artery. It's called something like that. Something like that. Uh, Frank and I are a couple big dumb dipshits and we're not medical people, but we know enough to realize like, Hey, maybe going forward, should probably start protecting these necks a little bit. Even I'm not saying everybody has to be like Thomas Placanitz and wear the freaking turtleneck. That guy looked like a goof, but there's got to be something. I know the Providence Bruins, they all started wearing them. Um, this league in England starting in 2024. I don't know if it's going to be the 2024-25 season or once the calendar flips to 2024. Probably um, next season. They're going to start. It's mandated where you're going to have to be wearing these things. Mm-hmm. I never really understood the human nature of like slowly but surely adjusting to things that you need. Like, Hey man, we'll give you some time to prepare to wear these. Now, like what? Somebody just died. Like, what are you talking? Like, yeah, it's, right. it's like, why are we, why do you have to adjust? Like you have to adjust to wanting to save your life. Like, and listen, 99.9% of all hockey players will never have something like this. But the fact that it can is very interesting to me. And it's like, Whoa, dude. But, it's just it's crazy to me why does somebody have to die for it to become mandatory now you know what i mean yeah well i mean how would would you have ever thought frank well or i mean you... somebody could hit their head on the ice tomorrow and then die and they'll be like well we should make insulated helmets mandatory like why don't they do that now to better protect them like to his helmet yeah right? yeah no why, you're right like, that's what i'm saying you're so, right. like, why does somebody have to lose their life for something to become mandatory i guess like, shouldn't just this kinda... stuff be discussed prior to the season in advance with all the technology they have like it's true it's true and like you said Tua Tagovailoa he had multiple concussions before and guess what he's been on his feet healthy all season long so far this season I'm not sure it's kind of like the human nature of like hey you learn on the fly you figure it out as you go sometimes Tua has to have a life-threatening concussion or you know, Adam Johnson passes away and now all of a sudden people are talking about neck guards. And 
Uh, one of my favorite hockey Twitter followers is Pierre Lebrun. He works for The Athletic. He used to be with TSN back when I first started watching hockey. Um, he talked to Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly about it, and it's being talked about. And Commissioner Gary was just on the Pat McAfee show earlier today, and he touched on it. I watched a whole Gary. When Gary talks, I listen. You don't have to like him. What he says is important. It's kind of like listening to the president of the United States during like politics season. Like you don't have to like them. You got to listen to what they're saying. Same thing with Gary when thinking about the sports world. Um, he he touched on it, and I was like, man, this whole story is like taking the hockey world by storm. So, you know, like I said. Hopefully his family and his friends and everybody he loved and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sid touched on it. I heard Gino talk about it. I mean, it's it's a huge thing. This guy was all these guys' teammates like three years ago. They all know yeah, him. They all went crazy. to dinner together and hung out. Uh, the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins. I He played for the Ontario Reign, who are the Kings' AHL team. And they had they made him the number one star of the game a couple nights ago and brought his jersey onto the ice. I mean, this guy impacted a lot of people clearly, and hopefully, hopefully, some means are taken to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. Yeah, and it, it looks like it's going to be. Hopefully, I, I'm not, I'm not really sure like what the right answer is, because like, do you just wear something on the front? Do you wear like like a catcher wears? Where it's like a neck guard. Like I don't know if you ever noticed catchers on their masks. You could hardly. I don't know see how it. that would work though. I know, I know, because like you don't want it to get all like jammed up in you while when you get crunched into the board. I feel like that's a, a safety issue. Me too. too. Me too. So I think it has to be like the the neck wear, like the material that the Providence Bruins were wearing, and it's almost like part of your shirt. And that way, it's safe. It's like a cloth. It's like a protective cloth. Right. Well, um, you still could probably get injured, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could get injured, but like you're not going to slice your, yeah, right. you know, whatever vein it is that keeps your head on your shoulders. Like, and he tried to get up. I, I, I didn't watch the video. I, I can't. But I mean, it's just really sad. And like I said, I hope his family finds peace um, and helps drive change in the hockey world because that's all we want at the end of the day. All this, all the teams we love, we dissect, we get into the nitty gritty of it all. It's because we love it so much. And to lose a hockey brother as we did this weekend, it's really, really sad. Tom says, or a football collar, maybe. I don't think that's a terrible idea at all. I don't know what he's talking about. Well, the NFL players, they have like, it's kind of like what Placanets wore. I think is what he's referring to. And everyone goofed on Placanitz. Guess what? Placanitz was never taking a skate to the neck, like, or, you know, dealing with a horrible neck injury like some of the other people. Um, do you remember that guy? He played for Montreal. Mm -hmm. uh, I think he, Toronto at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Didn't he play for Buffalo? He might have, actually. I don't know, but I remember who he is. Yeah, for sure. All right, Frank, let's move on. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers to Adam Johnson. Um, you're going to be missed, and we're going to get some change going in the hockey world thanks to you. Hello to you. Um, you know, sucks. Really, really sucks. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Shorty says they could use a metal mesh like a medieval times. Yeah, totally. Um, so we move on. We will talk about something that's not on our sheet because it just happened. Um, earlier today, maybe like what times are right now too, maybe at like noon, it came out that the Ottawa senators are going to have to, and I remember when this happened, Joey and I did the show. I don't think you were part of the show yet. You might've been though. We did the show when it was the trade deadline and I was at Christmas mountain, but in a cabin, not a house. Mm -hmm. 
and the Ottawa Senators made a trade um, involving Evgeny Dadnov. And then it got pulled back last second while they are getting a first-round pick stripped from them in either 2024, 25, or 26. I haven't read the details. I assume they get to pick. Um, that is horrible. Absolutely horrible to lose a first-round pick over a rescinded trade that you made involving an older player two years ago. Mm-hmm. And as a result, their general manager, Pierre Dorian, kicked the can. We thought Peter Shirelli was going to be the interim GM. Um, that's actually not the case. It is not Peter Shirelli. It is um, Steve Steos is going to be the interim GM for Ottawa. And that is uh, as of 48 seconds ago. Wow. The, the conference is going on right now. There's a lot to take in here. <laughs> Yeah, I have the conference live on my phone right now. I see these idiots, these morons talking. Because it was Peter Shirelli. It was going to be Peter Shirelli. I tweeted making fun of it because I'm like, Peter Shirelli? That guy passed on Shabbat and (laughs) Barzell and a bunch of other people when the Bruins had three picks in a row. First team in NHL history to have three picks in a row. 13, 14, 15. Shabbat falls. Peter Shelley says, no, thank you. Barzell, who lit up the Seattle Thunderbolts. You think Korchinski and Ethan Del Mastro and Doc were good for the Seattle Thunderbolts? Talk about Colton Doc. You think they were good for Seattle? Huh. Go back and watch Matthew Barzell play for Seattle. My God, he was great. I'm shocked he didn't go in the top 10. I wanted the Devils to get him. And he freaking falls to the Islanders because Peter Shirelli says, no, thank you. He takes Jake DeBrusque, good middle six forward. Jake DeBrusque is fine. He's not better than Barzal or Shabbat. Um, and there are some other players that went after him, too. Um, then at sixteen or 15 and 16, he takes Zach Sinitian. And now I'm drawing a blank on the other guy. Goes to show how much he stunk. Zach Sinitian and Jacob Zaboral. Jacob Zaboral. Those two aren't even in the league. Uh, Sinitian played for the Utica Comets last season, I think, in the Devil system, which is fine to have him as a veteran in the devil's depth system. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the Bruins, they were like kind of screwed by Peter Shirelli. They trade him to the Kings for a bag of rocks, a uh, Lucic. Yeah. Then, you know, he gets fired. They bring in um, Donnie Sweeney, who's done a magnificent job since Peter Shirelli left. But I mean, fired Claude Julian and brought in Bruce Cassidy. And I mean, it was just a mess there in Boston for a couple years there in between the cup and their recent run of dominance. And it's all Shirelli's fault. Okay, now Shirelli gets to freaking Edmonton, takes McDavid first overall. Well, I could have explained to our grandmas a little bit about hockey and they would have had the wherewithal to take Connor McDavid first overall. That wasn't hard. It's everything he did afterward that stunk reacquiring Lucic in his mid-30s and puts him on McDavid's wing. Like, what are you doing? So I'm like, why would this guy get hired? Thankfully, that is not the case. I hate when these old retreads that stunk at their job continuously <laughs> get hired. Like, he, what do you think was going to change if he went to Ottawa? Like, are you dumb? But it's Steve Steos instead. Your reaction to the whole story? I don't know, because I was going into this thinking it was Peter Shirelli, so now, like, my mind's mush. I know. Um, I Got to be honest, I wasn't prepared prepared for you to say that, but um, I, I wasn't who, prepared to. I don't say know it. who Steve Shosh is. Steos. This is from Elliot Friedman. Who is this guy? I, I'm gonna start doing some digging while you talk. Uh, Pierre, 
Pierre Dorian has resigned. Steve Steos is the interim GM. That is from Elliot Friedman, who is the number one hockey insider in oh, the world. Oh, yeah, I know who he is. I mean, I, good for them? Is this a good thing, a bad no. thing? I, I think it's not a good thing. It's it's not a bad thing that Steve Steos or any I don't know anything about him. I'm not going to sit here. Did the GM pass away? Is that what you said? No. Cuz you said he kicked the can. So I thought he like kicked the can. Maybe I have bad use of lingo. Cuz I hear I, kick the can I thought oh he, you know. I was thinking like he got canned. Oh, he got, he got canned. canned. Oh, okay. Yeah, he got canned. Um Okay, I mean I don't for why though? He was because of the whole thing with Adnov and losing the oh, draft pick and oh, okay, all okay. that stuff. Like I thought he kicked Eric. I thought he got canned because of their performance this year. What they're they're having an okay year, four and four. It's fine. I didn't realize that he lost his job because of what happened with Dadanov. I also think them being underperforming and cold right now has a little to do with it. I don't think if Tom Fitzgerald got a draft pick stripped from him right now, or if Kyle Davidson got a draft pick stripped from him right now for something that happened three years ago, I'm not sure they get canned. Are they underperforming though? Four I would four? say they are. This is like if they finished like 41 and 41, middle of the pack. They started three zero and one. Um, I thought I read somewhere. I, I don't know how to find it. I'm trying to find it about what pick they are losing. I thought that was out there. It's it is either the first round pick in 24, 25, or 26. Is it a first round? I thought I read second round too somewhere. Here, Do they lose uh, two picks or no? I will give you the exact verbiage of so the punishment. So while does that, yeah, I'll talk. Um, yeah, it's shocking news, right? It's something you don't expect to hear if you're an and don't make fun of us for not being prepared this is all actively happening right now the I mean, you said it happened 48 seconds ago. I, so i don't want to hear anybody laugh and all these guys come unprepared this is happening right now the press conference anybody, is going on if anybody right knows now. me they know how much i prepare for this show yeah so. um okay uh yeah gotta be honest with you if you're an ottawa senators fan this isn't great news for you because I think this is going to mess with a lot of the players' minds too. It's like you go into the season not expecting something like this to happen and you start out so hot. Do you think they got word that something like this was going to happen and then they kind of performed badly because of it? Or is this coming as a surprise to everyone? I doubt it's not coming as a surprise to the owner or the, you know, Pierre Dorian probably knew something crazy was going to be happening as a fallout from this. Um, he got fired. I, I don't think Pierre Dorian's done that good of a job, to be honest with you. I, I Ottawa, very much. Our buddy Tab, Tom Mangarelli, big fan of uh, Tab Bamford, turned me into a huge fan. Uh, and I had heard of Tab. He does great work with the Blackhawks for a long time. Shorty agrees with me. But... If he called them the White Sox of the NHL, all this talent, and then they stink. I'm starting to kind of see it. They don't, they don't do a good job of like figuring out ways to supplement. And like I said, they were three zero and one. Now they're four four and one. I mean, they were off to a great start, and then they had that awesome Saturday matchup against Detroit. A couple, it was last Saturday, and they've just been in a whirlwind since. Um, yeah, it's the NHL announced that the Ottawa Senators must forfeit a first-round pick in 2024, 2025, or 2026 for their role in Evgeny Dadanov voided trade from Vegas to Anaheim. I think... So he wasn't on the Senators when it happened. Vegas was going to trade him to Anaheim, and they played a role in him not going to Anaheim. 
I think what would be fair is that they lose this year's pick. They shouldn't get to choose. What do you mean, or? That's not a yeah. punishment. We're good in 2026. You could have our 30th round pick or our 30th pick. That's of the, first the pick round. I would give up, right? Like, you don't give up the 24. Right. No. So, like, to make it a punishment, why? You can't give them a choice. Yeah. Yeah. We'll I, give up our one that's the worst one. Like, I mean, let me be clear. It's still a punishment to lose a first round pick. It is a punishment. But champion. If, you, if you want a punishment with a capital P, you lose this year where they probably may not make the playoffs. I mean, right now it's not looking great. It's early. No. But I mean, you lose one that's like a good, good first round pick, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I know if I was playing for a team and I know management was like messed up and it starts getting in the locker room, I feel like that does play a role in the way the players perform because they know changes are going to be made, right? It's not like, oh, we have a new GM. Well, everything's going to stay the same. I'm still going to wake up, eat, drink uh, my freaking milk in the morning and go to the hockey rink and have a good old time. No, things are going to change. It's going to affect the players as well. This isn't just a management uh, decision that just uh, affects all the higher ups. This affects the locker room as well. So I don't know. That's my little theory is this. They kind of knew something was coming and it kind of affected their play. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's fair. I, I just, I don't, I don't get this team. You trade for Alex to and he clearly doesn't want to go there. So, like, that means you did no research with him or any – had no discussions whatsoever. Okay, Dabrinkit comes in. He has a mediocre year, which means – you know, he had a good – I think he scored 27 goals. If you have a player that's disappointed with 27 goals, you know they're a damn good goal scorer. Um, really, the only player on the Devils where if they scored 27 goals, I would be extremely disappointed is Jack Hughes. Like, I think Meyer, Brat, he sure will all score more than that. But, like, if they all had 27 goals, I wouldn't, like, cry about it. If Jack Hughes had 27 goals, I'd be kind of pissed. But, I mean, like, 27 goals is unreal. And he's disappointed with that. Why? Because he scored 40 the two years before that. Now he's in Detroit. It looks like he might score 50. Wow, a human being being comfortable in a situation matters. Interesting how that works. And you have Tim Stutzla and Shabbat and Sanderson and all these great young pieces. Uh, Brady Kachuk, their captain, probably the third or fourth best power forward in the NHL right now. I mean, he's got more goals than Matthew, mm-hmm. and he's been unreal. They just they're they're a loser franchise right now, and now this is making it even worse. Did DeBrinket want to leave? Because why did they trade him? I think he wanted to leave. Because it really why make the trade in the first place? I think he was an RFA and didn't want to sign. Okay. Then that makes sense because then why make the trade if you don't want to, if you're not yeah. going to sign him long term? And I don't, I didn't love the return for him. I was like, you know, the Brinkett should be like the Hawks got what the Hawks got seven. Yeah. From Ottawa. Kevin Korchinski's a Hawk because of the Brinkett. And, that's and, and that worked out so well for the Blackhawks because even though, again, I know we had this debate. You didn't want the Hawks to trade him. But I was like, the Hawks, if they keep Dabrinka and he scores 40, they ain't finishing with the third worst record. They are not finishing with the third worst record in getting Bedard. You had to go all in on this tank. Even with Bedard, they stink. Scores a goal 26 seconds in, they lose 8-1. to one. And, you know, Dabrinka, he's a little more seasoned. He's They're just a better team if he's there. Next year would be a nice year to bring in a player like Dabrinka, play with Bedard, even right now probably. 
Because I don't think the Hawks care too much about Macklin Celebrini or Cole Eiserman or any of those. They're, they care about developing Bedard. But, like, they got rid of him just in time, and now Ottawa is paying a price. And I, I so it's all these things together combined with the Dadnov draft pick strip that I'm not really shocked at all that they made this move with their GM. I'm just not. It's kind of forced. You got it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's embarrassing. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Gives you a bad name. It gives you a bad rep. Yeah. So you know their own their new owner, uh, Andular. Uh, he's pissed off that he inherited this um, first round pick being lost. Because you might remember they just had an ownership change, mm-hmm. like a month or two. See, and that's, thing, Reynolds, but... and that's another thing. And that's another thing. Ryan Reynolds would have been cool. Ottawa. I, I don't know if he's an Ottawa native, so but cool. he's it would have been so cool. Freaking Deadpool owns an NHL team. Oh my god. Yeah, that would have been sick. But like. It's just, it's crazy to me. I feel for the guy. He's coming in and all of a sudden, boom, first round pick gone. It's a tough job for Steos to be an interim GM. I'm sure if he does an okay job, he'll have that interim tag removed, but nothing's guaranteed. Kyle Davidson was an interim GM. Yep. And, you know, he made a couple good trades. I think he handled the Marc-Andre Fleury thing and everything Kyle Davidson did that one trade line where he was the interim. Mm-hmm. And that he got him, he got the interim tag stripped and he became full time. So, you know, we relate this back to the teams we know the best the most. But I mean, just a tough situation going on in Ottawa right now. The Canada's nation capital. Tough, tough, tough. news. It is tough, tough news. Uh, you know who's not having a tough start to the season? The Boston Bruins. Yes, the Boston Bruins. There are two teams, but we'll start with the Boston Bruins. As of right now, they are probably the best team in the NHL, or they're right there with the other team we're going to talk about in a couple seconds here. Um, really, really good start. 8-0-1. Just absolutely phenomenal. Of course, they broke the record for the most points and most wins in an NHL season last year, and here they are again, starting 8-0-1 on pace to have a similar type season. Um and some notes about the Bruins. Charlie McAvoy has been suspended for four games for his hit to the head on Oliver Ekman Larson in Monday night's win over the Florida Panthers. It came right after McAvoy tied the game after they were down two nothing and they won in overtime thanks to a goal by Pavel Zaka. And then their coach, Dave, uh, I almost called him David Montgomery, Jim Montgomery. I get my football players and my hockey coaches confused. Um, uh, Jim Montgomery announced that Matthew Poitra is not going back to his OHL team in the Guelph Storm. He's going to stick with the Bruins all season long. Congrats to Matthew Poitra. The Bruins have started out the season with a possible 17 out of 18 points after a lot of slander in the offseason coming about them could they redo this? Could they repeat what they did last year? Well, they're probably not going to have a record-breaking year, but they lost Bergeron and Krejci. I mean, how are things going to fare? At the end of the day, when we did our predictions, I had them in the playoffs. You had them in the playoffs. We really didn't doubt them as much. Um, their only loss that they suffered the entire year was in overtime against the Anaheim Ducks on October 26th. They were home. Um, the Florida did you Panthers, see that goal? Yeah, I saw the goal. <laughs> the goal, the play by Leo Carlson? Oh! It was gorgeous. It was absolutely gorgeous. The Florida Panthers almost defeated them in their most recent game, but the Bruins rallied back down 2-0, ended up winning 3-2 in overtime. Bruins are playing very well right now. They're on an all-time high. I'd probably have them as the second hottest team right now because the Knights just look like lethal. 
and they do have one extra win, so I give the edge to the Knights. Um, but things might start to get a little bit tougher now in their next few weeks because, like you said, Charlie McAvoy will be suspended for four games from the illegal check to the head on OEL of the Florida Panthers. This is McAvoy's second career suspension. His first suspension came from an illegal check to the head also against Josh Anderson of the Columbus Blue Jackets in May 2019. He was also fined for tripping in May of 2020. But other than that, McAvoy, he's a clean player. But this is going to this is going to hurt the Bruins in a big way. Charlie McAvoy has been the best defenseman this year in terms of defense and offensive production, and it's not even close. He is a crucial reason as to why this team is yet to lose in regu regulation. And you mentioned Matthew Poitra. He's been sens sensational. After losing Bergeron and Krejci, you know, red flags go up. Like, how are we going to fill the void of center depth? You know, how is it going to look? Are things going to be the same? They're not going to be the same. We can't replace Bergeron and Krejci, but we could fill the void that we think we're, we are going to have. And they've done that with Matt Poitra. Um, I mean, he's doing everything a bottom six center should be doing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some first line time eventually. Not first line, but I meant top six. But yeah, I mean, maybe he finds his way on the first line. I like actually in the top six for sure. I actually wouldn't be surprised if by Christmas he's centering Marshan and Pasta. I think it'd and be then, great. And then you push down Zaka to play with DeBrusque and whoever, uh, JVR probably. And then on the third line, you have Charlie Coyle playing with some third line guys. Like I, I honestly think that is how it goes by the end of the year. And Poitras, second round pick, twenty twenty, uh, the Guelph yep. Storm, really, really good. I mean, they're they're pumping out guys out of the OHL like nobody's business. Is still probably the, it's it's probably the top developmental league still. Not not besides the AHL, like the top non pro developmental league. Uh, out of the three CHL leagues, the OHL's it's probably still the best. The WHL's creeping up, though. Um, but, I mean, just awesome story for Poitras making the team. You know, every game he had to earn the next game in preseason. Mm -hmm. It was like the plan was to send him down after every single preseason game. And he'd score. Or he'd make a sick play to set up a goal. Okay, you'll get another one, kid. Okay, you get another one, kid. Finally, they get to the last preseason game, and they're like, all right, if the kid has a good game, he breaks camp with the team, right? Like, like And then we'll see what happens in your nine games. We'll see what happens in your nine games. Oh, and by the way, the Bruins lost every preseason game except one. Um, then they come into the regular season. He looks the part, but there's no points going on the board. It's like, okay, Matthew Poitras, when, when is he going to score this first goal? Chances galore. It's not like he's finishing each game with zero shots on net, no chances. Then all of a sudden in his first game that he scores, he scores a second couple minutes later. And it's like, whoa, dude. Now he's got five points in nine yep. games. You know, if he finishes the season with 50 points, people would jump off a bridge of happiness. If he ends up on the top line by the end of the year, we could be talking 60, 70. If you would have told me, at the beginning of the season, there's a big five in the Calder Trophy race, in my opinion, to start oh, the season. Oh, he might get some votes. For to sure. start the season, there was a top five. Bedard, Luke Hughes, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, and Logan Cooley. I would have bet my life that one of those five guys win the Calder Trophy. There's firmly a top six now. Matthew I would even say he might even be top five. You can really argue it. 
right now, if the season ended, it would be Bedard. Hughes, I think you bump out Fantilli, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, yeah, Fantilli's made some really nice plays. He has, but I mean, look at the production of the players we mentioned. Yeah, and Leo we'll get to Bedard, and I don't think games. I don't think people realize how good Bedard's been. Oh no, in I, terms of production. Yeah, I'm tired of hearing slander. I've we'll, heard slander. We'll, we'll get to Bedard if you slander. What I'm, yeah, I'm not going to talk him, about. I that saw now. him in person. But I'm not I, gonna he's the real that. deal. I'm not going to explain now, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't remove Bedard. Leo Carlson's been sensational. Luke Hughes has been sensational. He's the and, only defender in the top 10 scoring. And look at how Logan Cooley's been with the Coyotes. 100%. Fantilli has to be, the like, the worst of the, the five. Yeah, no, I you're probably say, right. I, I think Patra, Poitra, he's definitely had better production than Fantilli. Yeah, I and think. then there's that Greg kid who's leading all rookies in scoring in Ottawa, too. But Ottawa's a dumpster fire, and they're not going to get votes for anything. I, it's funny. There's a world. We were talking about this over the weekend. There is a universe where Jack Hughes wins the Hart Trophy. He's the NHL's leading scorer as we enter play on Wednesday. Quinton Hughes wins the Norris Trophy. He's the <laughs> NHL's leader in points for a defenseman right now. And... um. Luke Hughes wins the Calder Trophy. He's second in rookie scoring, but he's a D. And I'm assuming that's <laughs> never happened in NHL history. Obviously. I mean, I doubt two siblings have ever won two major awards in general. Let and alone then, like, their rookie brother coming into the Wouldn't NHL that be something? Jack wins the Hart. Quinn wins the Norris. If the season ended today, I think that's how it would go. You think so? Yeah. Because, like, they do give you extra – brownie points for being a d mm-hmm. with the calder trophy you put up points you put up points in the same vein and that's what i was trying to tell you in the preseason like connor bedard if he has 60 points and luke hughes has 55 one plays on the back end and his primary focus is to like be back but i mean connor bedard he's the re uh, i've officially in person seen him and fantilly and luke hughes live now i still want to see cooley I'm going to see – or no, I've seen Poitra play too in person now. Yeah, you went to the Bees game. Yeah. Um, I knocked out him and Bedard in the same game. I got to see Leo Carlson. At, I want to see Leo Carlson at some point this year. I might go see – I might go see my boy too, Fantilli, at some point this year. Um, I think the Ducks made the right choice. Nah. We, we, I think I Leo know. Carlson's going to be worlds better than Fantilli. I think they're equal but different styles. I, but for the Ducks team, I think they made the right choice. I think Leo Carlson fits the Ducks more. That's fine. But to say world's better? I think he's going to be world's better, dude. I'm so high on Leo Carlson right now. I I, I am too. I think a 1,000 points is like very real. Fantilli will be good. Absolutely. I think he'll be real good. I could see the top three all being in the Hall of Fame. Oh, wow. See, yeah. see I can't see Fantilli being a Hall of Famer. If he scores I, 500 goals. Uh, wow, I mean, you're really, really high on. Fantilli. I I love Fantilli, dude. Yeah, I really do. He's. I'm been, trying to think of a good comparison. I think he'll end up being. Like he reminds me of like Getzlaff. Wow. I I really do. I, I'm high on him, dude, and I'm really high on Leo Carlson too. Yeah, Fantilli reminds Fantilli, me of like huh? Fantilli has five points in nine games, and his Corsi four is fifty two percent. That's freaking awesome. And he's playing on a dog crap team. You know who he kind of like reminds me of? Like I could see him being in his career. Like a Jeff Skinner. Like a Jeff Skinner. Like you had a great year. 
over 600 points in your career, or not a great year, great career, over 600 points, 350 goals, maybe 400 goals. Like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Like, you you had a great NHL career. That's yes. where I kind of, like, picture him. Skinner's a winger. I, I see the points. I see the assists for Fantilli being significantly more than skin. Dogs. I'm probably dead wrong, but. No, you, you might know. not be. I'm not. I'm not discrediting your opinion. I, I just, I, the way Fantilli defends too, he, he's, I, I see Getzlaff, except I think Fantilli will be more of a goal scorer than Getzlaff and that'll take away the assists just a little bit. Get, Getzlaff would score 25 goals and have 65 assists. Like I, he's, he'll probably be a little bit more of a grimy type of, you know, two-way center than Getzlaff was, but. He would have been perfect on the West Coast, but the Ducks got cold feet and took Carlson, who I also think could have a thousand points. I really, I mean, good. what's what's Leo Carlson done this year? Leo Carlson, he hasn't played the same uh, amount of games. Leo Carlson has played in five games and he has two goals and one assist, three points. His mm-hmm. course he four is fifty percent, which, if you're a veteran, being over fifty percent is good. If you're a rookie, it's like, wow, Fantilli's a little bit better defensively, I think, and he, his team controls the puck a little bit more when he's on the ice so far. It's so early to be comparing these guys, though. It is my true, true hope that – and I'm not going to be the guy comparing these two. I want them both to be awesome. I hope both teams got exactly what they needed. I hope all three of the top four – or all three of the top three go to the Hall of Fame. I really – like – I'm rooting for all of them. Got got to see them though in person. I want to go to Nationwide Arena so bad. It's not that far relative to where we are. Oh, I'd go. I've been to... I've been outside. I want to see the cannon. I want to be like next. Yeah, to the cannon. me too. I've laid my eyes on Nationwide Arena when I went to the Ohio State game. You walk right past it when you're walking from the tailgating lot to the shoe where the Buckeyes play. You look to your, you leave the parking lot, you like go under this bridge, and under the bridge, everyone's chanting, "Oh, H." Io, and then you look to your right and you see nationwide arena so do you know like i think in a few years when we're like let's re-rank the 2023 nhl draft and who would go where now i think oliver moore will be a top 10 pick i agree I think he was like one of the biggest deals in the draft. He looks so good right now, too. I know. Filthy, filthy, filthy oh start in college. And I told you I wanted the Hawks to get him. I'm like, please, I hope the Hawks draft him. They yeah. draft him. He's gonna be a steal. Remember, I had a I had Seattle was it Seattle picking right after the Hawks? I had them yeah. taking him. So he went roughly in the same area I had him. And I now looking back, I'm like if I could re-rank it, I would do it. Oh, he'd be a lot higher. He's gonna be great, I think. And I had a I had a crush on Zach Benson. Awesome yeah. start with the Buffalo Sabres. I like Zach Benson. Going to be out three to four weeks, though. That's tough. Hopefully he could come back and return the same as he left. Uh, Tom points out that Darren Pang was a Calder finalist. Very interesting, actually. Uh, Tom, I know you went to a game. He went to a game where his first ever date was a Darren Pang start. <laughs> yeah, to... you remember that, huh? Yeah, well, I'll never forget that story. I love hearing those types of stories. Um, the last Blackhawk to win the Calder Trophy. Who, Darren Pang? No, I'm asking you. Oh, I was like, he won the he didn't win the yeah, in case Bedard wins it, he will be the first since. Oh, it's um I got it. Hold on. It's Panarin. Artemi Panarin. If Luke Hughes wins he won it, it he the will year be. um 
McDavid was in the league, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. McDavid would have won if he played the whole year. And what were you saying about? If Luke Hughes wins it, he will be the first devil since. People's minds but, will go to Heesher and Brat. And yeah, Hugh. I don't know. I have no None idea. None of them want it. None of them were even nominated. Is it? Uh, it's not Brodeur. No, it's Scott Gomez. Oh, okay. Back in the early 2000s. Gomer was Gomer was sick. Loved Scott Gomez. Um, Frank, the other undefeated in regulation team, the Vegas Golden Knights, 9-0-1. Talk to me about them. That, that's your second team. Yeah, this is the team who I think are the best in the league right now just because coming off a Stanley Cup championship, got the extra win over the Bees. So, I, like I said, I give them the edge. They uh, got the best record in the NHL. I can't believe they started out this hot after winning the cup. I'm absolutely stunned, truly. I still love, though, that I look at their record, and the one blemish on their record is the Blackhawks were the only team to beat them this year in any manner. Bedard, prettiest goal, too. It feels great. It feels great, VP, just knowing like 9-0-1 and that one was the Blackhawks. Like They beat who is in first place for the President's Trophy right now. Feels fantastic. And I want to go on the record and state. But I also don't want, like, don't take anything major away from what I'm saying. Because I know how good the Vegas Golden Knights are. They're a very, very good team. Nothing against them. But if I had to create a system where the system were to judge teams based on their schedule, I would have the Vegas Golden Knights only have two quality wins this year of their nine. Um, and the what what I mean about that is... They beat Dallas in overtime at home. Dallas quality team. They're playing fantastic. That's a cup contender. That's a quality win. The other one, I guess I would give the Jets. They beat the Jets 5-3 to three in Winnipeg. They're on the road. So that to me, that's a quality win. But to me, I'm being a little generous, too, and giving them a, a quality win with the Winnipeg Jets. The rest of their... Connor school. Hellebuck's in net. They have Shifley and yeah. Connor. That's a good... The Jets yeah, are a good it's, team. A, it's a quality win. And I mean, yep. the win against Philly was big too because, you know, Philly's been playing great, but that's a game they should win on paper. The rest of their schedule has been very mediocre. And I kind of dissected their schedule a bit. They have one of the easiest schedules so far and leading through the end of the year. Things don't get tough till January. They play bottom feeders the whole year, the whole rest of the year until January. Sure, we got a, a sprinkle of Colorado in there. They'll play Colorado once. They'll play maybe the Devils before January once. But then in January, we're hit with the we're hit with another game of the Devils, a game against Colorado, two games against the Bees. It's like all their tough games come from January to April, end of April. It's like they haven't had a tough schedule. They have one of the easiest schedules as the Stan Stanley Cup champions. And I just, to me, that just is insane. But nothing, no credit. I don't want any credit taken away from them. They're a very good team. But it's just, they're going to have a very tough second half of the year. Did not, did not know any of the things you just said to me. I'm actually probably more proud of you sure. right now than I've ever been in this time doing the show. And I'm quite proud of you all the time. But right now, that is, I think, the most dove in or the best analysis you've given me to support your argument on something so far since you started doing this show. Wow. So congrats to Frankie that on good. that. Very, very nice. I really enjoyed listening to all of that. Very interesting point. 
the Golden Knights, they're 9-0-1. They played a bunch of dog shit teams. They should be 9-0-1. They're the defending Stanley Cup champions. You don't, I'm not taking anything. I'm not, you're not going to worry about me taking anything away from the Stanley Cup champions because in order to win a division in the NHL, you should have an 800 winning percentage against non-playoff teams and be slightly over 500 the against the regular teams or and against the, the, the playoff teams. If you're the Devils, you should smoke every bad team and have a 505 winning percentage against everybody else, all the rest of the good teams. That's how you win a division. The Golden Knights are going to win a division by shitting on all the good or the bad teams and then and playing above average do. against the good teams. You got to do that. You yeah. have to mop up on those teams, right? Look yes. at the Penguins missed the playoffs because they couldn't beat the Hawks. Yeah, you got to beat those teams. And like I said, I mean they'll get they got like three games coming up between now and December against the Sharks. Couple games against like Montreal. It's like all their the teams they play through December are just horrendous. And like I said, you're gonna get tough games here and there between now and the end of December because like you have to play some good teams. But man, they are just mopping up and they're doing it the right way. That's what you have to do because they're gonna beat some of the good teams. They're gonna get a win against Colorado. They're gonna oh, yeah. get a win against Boston. They not might the not be as dominant. They're not going to go 9-0-1 between the Devils, the Bruins, Colorado. But they, as long as you go 500, even 6-4 and four in 10 games against those types of teams, you mopped up and you won 10 against the bottom feeder. So you're fine. You're division champion contenders. Agreed. Very much That's agreed. Good. Credit to the Vegas Golden Knights, man. They're yeah, sick. Absolutely. They're freaking awesome. They're, they're a great team. Absolutely. So, Frank, over the weekend, speaking of a couple of these teams that the Vegas Golden Knights are going to have to play, I don't anticipate both of these teams being as bad as they've been. So when they play against the Vegas Golden Knights, they could probably expect a better version of them when that time comes, are the two teams that played in the Heritage Classic, the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers entered on a four-game losing streak, and as did the uh, Calgary Flames. Um they both had a really rough start to the year. Both have better rosters than their record. So I'm not saying they're cup contenders. I'm not even, I think Edmonton is by the end of the year, but uh, I'm not even saying they're necessarily guaranteed playoff teams. Again, I think Edmonton is by the end of the year. I think I had winning the division. Yeah. But... The flames will make a push. I think, I don't know if they get in, but they're both bubble teams right now. And they probably could be playoff teams by the end. In the case of Edmonton, I could see them being a Stanley cup contender by the end, but slow start playing the heritage classic. The battle of Alberta gets taken outside. Frank, the Oilers ended up winning the game. A uh, huge win for them. Um, got back on track. McDavid came back. It felt like McDavid was out for a month. He missed two games. He missed two games, and it was supposed to be one to two weeks. This guy is obsessed with playing. Since breaking his clavicle in his rookie season, I think it was his clavicle. It was something. I remember Brandon Manning smashed him into the boards. Um, and I think McDusty got hurt in his draft year, too, with the Erie Otters. He punched um the glass in a fight he was fighting someone like mcdavid's fighting and his draft year what an idiot and he punched the glass if i remember correctly and so but since then he's barely been hurt this guy's obsessed with playing every single game he always wants to be there for his team didn't sit well the beauty makes it back to the heritage classic break did you enjoy the heritage classic did you like the atmosphere what do you think of the jerseys is was it that case where we all thought the jerseys were stunk when they were first announced but then they actually looked kind of nice on the ice that's how i felt about it um you know what was your takeaway from the whole thing yeah i always like outdoor games um i always like watching them i always like the idea of it i still don't like the ups bottoms for the edmonton oilers but both jerseys were fine at the end of the day i think 
when you see players playing them, it does make a huge difference. You see them in real time. They're not just on models and they're not just on a modeling Connor McDavid, you know, um, it's different when you see them with so many other colors on the ice and what, what meshes with everything. And it was fine, but the Oilers needed to win this game. It was a much needed win. They were coming into the game, losing four straight. They pick up a nice five to two win against the Calgary flames. Connor McDavid returns. Uh, he had an assist besides that wasn't too offensive in this game. Evander Kane had a really big game. He had a goal and two assists. He also had six shots on goal, six hits as well. Very physical all around. And, you know, maybe an outdoor game is what the Oilers needed to get a little change of pace going with this team, right? They were in the slumps. Even with McDavid before his injuries, they lost two in a row. Then McDavid goes out. Well, we lost another two for a total of four. Um, the Oilers were 2-5-1, and one, or they are 2-5-1 and one to start the season right now. You don't want to get too far into a hole to begin the season because we all know how hard it is to climb out of, but something that we don't see too often from this Oilers team is the defense was scoring a ton, which is what you love to see. Stuart Skinner was fantastic. Finally, he had his second quality start in a row. And for those of you who don't know, a quality start is where the goalie has a save percentage that is higher than the league average. So he's done that two games in a row. So he's looked fantastic. He's starting to look like the all-star he was last year. This was my fear with him last year, though, and why I didn't think the Oilers were going to go too far in the postseason. Because the Oilers, they could score. They could outscore their opponents at will. But Skinner's up and down, and the defense being poor here and there, it's just it's not a good recipe for success. And what we're seeing from the first half of this year of uh, Skinner playing in the first few games compared to what we've seen, the first few games that Skinner's played this year is what I was fearful of coming out of last year because I just didn't like the way he was playing. If Skinner could stay at the level he's been playing the past two games, they'll be fine. But I don't know yet. I, I still I don't know. I, I mean, I trusted him. I took him in fantasy, trust him a little bit. It's kind of stunk getting back on track. That's what you like to see if you're the Oilers. Um, but, you know, you just it was good to see the defense step in. You can't afford for the defense to be poor. This puts a lot of pressures on guys like McDavid, Dreisaitl, Evander Kane, because then they have to go out and get the job done. The Flames, on the other hand, I mean, they they look awful. They didn't get their first shot on goal after six minutes into the game. This should have been the, a game where, hey, we're pumped up to play this game. We're playing a Canadian rivalry in an outdoor game. Like, we should be pumped up, but it they weren't. You know, Kadri finally scored his first goal of the season. He's the second highest played player on the team, and he hasn't been able to score. Markstrom letting in goals, a lot of bad goals. I mean, it's early in the season, but I, I, I hate to say this, VP. I think I'm closing the doors on the Flames already. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And Hub Huberto's a free agent at the end of the year. I mean, it's a tough situation in Calgary right now. They're going to have to go through that again. Like, losing Kachuk yeah. and Goudreau. At Things have been the same. Tear it down, honestly. Soon. I think you Soon. have to. I think there's no more in the middle. The it next sucks, time, though. I love the Battle of Alberta. I love it. I I, I want to snort it. And the Oilers are good right now. If the Flames rebuild and get back in, how long before, like, you know, the Oilers start to fall off? The this is the third year in a row the Oilers have started slow. You know, the last year and the year before, not good to start. And they found a way back. The Oilers can say they've lost to the Stanley Cup champion each of the last two years, too. So if they win those playoff series, 
do they become the Stanley Cup champions? I don't know. I think of every Canadian team, them and the Leafs are the closest. But um, they they better start figuring it out. Um, you know, just awesome, awesome, awesome game though. I loved the atmosphere playing at Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton. Um, outdoor games are always sick. I, it's a little extra special when it's Canadian, you know, especially the Battle of Alberta, which I said is my favorite rivalry in the NHL right now. I want to watch every single game that those two teams play. Um, loved seeing it. The the jerseys, they looked nice on the ice. Um, thought they were cool. So I'm starting to think Skinner's a B-tier goalie. Truly. I don't like what I've seen at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. He's not S tier. No, he's not S tier. And he's definitely I I can't put him A tier. There no. are so many goalies I'd rather have ahead of him. I understand. I think they can win a cup with him if they play well in front of him. And you could you could win a cup with a B tier yeah. goalie. The last two Stanley Cup champion goalies right. B tier goalies. Right. So we'll see. Um but it'll be interesting to watch know. the Oilers. The Oilers are still my Oilers. Um I haven't stopped watching them yet. Um, I'm not going to stop watching any team in the league, but um, we'll see how it goes from here. Frank, are the Anaheim Ducks for real? I don't think so. I don't think the Ducks are the real deal. They're playing fantastic. They're dangerous to play against right now. I'd be nervous to play against the Ducks right now. They've gotten some quality wins this year. They've been really exciting to watch, and they've never really been out of too many games. But So I could understand why some people might think they're really good or the real deal but they don't have the roster to support a successful postseason type of year. Ryan Strom, Mason McTavish, Frank, Frank Vitrano, they've been great. They've been amazing. But the players such as Trevor Zegras, Troy Terry, they've been subpar. We, I mean, especially Zegras, who's got two points this year. But he needs to step it up, and he needs to step it up soon because this is another reason why you can't extend Zegras to that big extension everyone thinks he's worth or maybe getting. This is the fear. We talked about this. How could the Ducks pay Zegers when he's yet to prove what he can do? And once again, he's a slow start. You have two points the whole year. Like, what if Zegers is a bust? What if he's the player who is just meant to score pretty goals here and there, but never blossoms into anything special? Like, do we have it all wrong? Or is it just because the Ducks are this bad? I actually, I don't think the Ducks are for real, but I don't think they're bad. Uh, competitively bad, as you like to say, one of your favorite phrases, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think, I think they're better than the Blackhawks. I I don't think they're better than Arizona. I know I'm high on Arizona and you're not, but. I'm, I'm starting to, tr- I'm starting to turn. You know, I, we, we talk highly about my boy Clayton Keller. He's been unreal. No points in that game where they scored eight, though. They scored eight without Keller contributing to the score sheet. I'm I was starting so, to flip the script on the Coyotes. I was happy to see that for the Yotes. It was like, yeah, I want Keller to have his 80 points and prove me right that I'm high on him. But at the same time, I want the Coyotes to be good too. And you're not good if you're only your best player. The Devils got a huge win over the Wild with Jack Hughes having zero points. Needed that. Need I want Jack Hughes to lead the league in scoring, but I want the Devils to win more. And in order to win, you, you sometimes need to win when the other team zones in on your best player and takes them out of the game. It's going to happen from time to time. You can only contain Clayton Keller. You can't, you know, stop him. But you know, if the Hawks gave up eight goals again to the Coyotes sometime in the season, I would bet my life Keller's on the score sheet. Um, but I mean, for as far as Anaheim, they're only a handful of teams. I think they're like truly better than. San Jose is one of them, too. But 
I mean, oh, everybody's better than San Jose. They yeah, are awesome. And I'm a huge Flyers guy right now. They're one of my favorite teams in the league to watch, but I think they're better than the Flyers. The I know Sharks? the Flyers. No, no, no. The oh. Ducks. The Ducks. The Flyers had a better start, but Anaheim's come on lately and they smoked them over the weekend. I mean, the Ducks are just good. I'm not worried about Zegris, and I'll tell you why. He missed all of training camp, played zero preseason games. This is the preseason for him, except the opponent isn't third and fourth liners or kids going back to the OHL. That's how some of the vets in the NHL warm up and get ready for the season is by playing in the preseason against this lesser competition. That's not happening for Zegris this year. And I've seen it time and time again. Nylander was bad when he came back from a contract holdout at first. Now look at him. I'm not saying Zegris becomes Nylander. He probably doesn't. He might, though. Actually, Nylander's a decent. If you told me Zegris became Nylander, I think Yotes fans would be thrilled. Um, But, I mean, we'll see what happens with him. I The rest of the Ducks, though, I love Mason McTavish. Yeah, he's I mean, great. He, I was stunned when he was the third overall pick. Absolutely flabbergasted. I thought there was a 0% chance the Ducks don't take Luke Hughes. I thought he was for sure going to Anaheim. And then they took Mason McTavish, and I was like, the Devils are getting Luke Hughes. Holy shite. And Mason McTavish, for being a forward, right there at the top of his draft class. What a top of the draft class that turned out to be, too, 2021. Owen Power. Ben Years, McTavish, Luke Hughes, Yurichek. Or not Yurichek. Kent Johnson went fifth to Columbus. I mean, what a top five. What a top five. And the Ducks are benefiting from it. I love to see it. Also, I'll give a little nod to my guy. Adam Henrique makes that little poke when the Ducks were playing the Penguins two nights ago. He makes that little poke. And it springs McTavish for a shorthanded mm-hmm. breakaway with six seconds left on the clock. McTavish, snipe, Ducks win, Penguins lose. You know me, I like the Penguins. If they were playing the they were playing each other in the cup final, I'd probably root for the Penguins just out of my a long time love for them. But I loved seeing my guy Adam Henrique set up my guy Mason McTavish for a sick shorthanded goal and the game wouldn't even go to overtime. That was awesome. I think my hot take about the Penguins is gonna come true. Yeah. I'm leaning that way too. You know, I'm giving, huh? You make your adjustments about um, the Coyotes. I gotta adjust too. Yeah. Not necessarily like they're getting old. VP too. They're getting old. I did see an advanced stat that supports that they will come back. And advanced stats aren't the end all be all. They're not. But the Penguins are what the advanced stats people like to call the unluckiest team in the NHL. They have gotten, I mean, yeah, they've had some pretty heartbreaking losses. They've had some heartbreaking losses and their opposing goalies turn into Martin Brodeur or Patrick Waugh in their prime against the Penguins for whatever reason. And that does happen to teams for stretches sometimes. Um, It actually happened to the Devils last year, about midway through the season. They played like four goalies in a row who like made saves on shots that statistically go in like 70% of the time. You know, it happens in baseball too. If a guy's exit velocity is like over 95 miles per hour, it's supposed to be a base hit like 90% of the time. And so like if you have a game where like all your hitters have 95 exit velocity or more and you lose three to two, 
they call that like a bad luck loss. Mm-hmm. Um, that does happen in hockey too. They create quality chances and you know, not the best goaltending situation, obviously. So I'm not saying that I think the Penguins are going to climb out of it because of their situation. I can see the bad luck losses continuing, but I, I don't think they're the worst. I think they will not finish last place in the conference like they're currently sitting right now. That's fair. If those advanced statistics have like any validity to them, I'm like a 50, 50 advanced stats guy. I look at them. I use them as a tool. Mm-hmm. There are some people that are like, whatever the advanced statistics says, that's my opinion. If the advanced statistics say the Penguins are actually good and they're going to rattle off 10 wins in a row because if they keep playing the same way and they like believe that, I'm not necessarily there. I do think sometimes the results just have to speak for themselves. But like I said, it's a tool. Mm-hmm. I it's completely tool. understand. So the Penguins, are they – I wrote an article. Are the Ducks good or are the Anaheim or are the Penguins bad? And it was like a recap of the game and like kind of talking about the direction of each team. Loved writing it. Um, I think they're both okay really is kind of my answer um all right frank that has or did you have anything left on the ducks ducks or penguins i I was just gonna say um i give trevor zegras this last like he could finish poorly this year i don't care if he finished poorly next year i think i i make my decision that he's a bust like it's fine if he has like 40 points this year that's fine i'm not gonna say anything but if we go into next year year five of your NHL career and you still just can't get things done. He's never getting the bag. Now a bust or didn't live up to the hype. Didn't live up to the hype because, but in Trevor Zegra standards, I mean, what was his ceiling that some people said he was going to get to like it, in terms of like getting the 90 points and never getting there. That's a bust in my opinion, because you weren't, you didn't live up to, what people kind of expected you to. Yeah. So you think he's an NHL forward? He's an NHL forward, absolutely, who could get 60 points a year, but is he anything more? I mean, think about players who've had slow starts. They really peak in year five, like Tage Thompson. Slow start, got the big peak. Pete Nathan McKinnon really peaked. You're right. Year four, five. We're going, if next year will be year five and nothing happens of him, all right, what are we doing? Like, you can only develop so long, you know? It's like when you teach a dog, you don't teach them in their later years. You teach them while they're growing up. Well, right now, Trevor Zegras is growing up in the NHL. How much could you teach him after five years? You know what I mean? It's like eventually your game is just doesn't mold into what it's what is expected. Yeah. No, I completely agree. take there on Trevor Zegras. Yeah. I have a different opinion of a bust. A bust is a player that's like, they suck and they're out of the league. Yeah, no, he's not going to be that. But. No, like Kako and Lafreniere are not busts. They didn't live up to expectations, but they're not busts. Zegris could very much end up being that player. I think there's a little more evidence supporting that he'll bounce back and end up having a really good year than Lafreniere, than Kako. I mean, he was on the cover of NHL, not because he stunk, not because he was flashy. I mean, that had a little to do with it. But if he was a flashy guy who had nine goals, I don't think he's on NHL, right? Like, I don't know. I, I think I think Zegers has another gear that he could get to. I hope to see him get to it. Um, I'd love to see the Devils trade for him and put him back with his buddy Jack Hughes on a line. You know, Zegers went to every Devils playoff home game. Did he? Yeah, he just loves hanging out and watching <laughs> his boy Jack play. 
That's funny. Yeah, it's, he sat with Mr. Hughes in the fan stands. That's cool. So we'll see what happens there one day. Um, Frank, we need to move on. We hour for hour seven That's in the first crazy. period. We have more hockey to talk about in period number two. Welcome to period two. Frank, let's just talk about more hockey. We're going to keep the news rolling. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of retirements here in period number two and a couple old guys and a couple young guys. I think that's kind of the theme of the second period. It's going to start on the old side and we're going to move down to the younger side. We will start with Mr. Paul Stastny. Paulie Walnuts has announced his retirement from the NHL. What do you think of Paulie Walnuts while watching him play in the NHL? Hanging up the skates after 17 seasons, VP. Over 1,100 games played during his career, Stastny would compile 293 goals, 529 assists. Fantastic career. Played for Colorado, St. Louis, Winnipeg, Vegas, even the Vegas Golden Knights, Carolina. I think his best seasons in the NHL were when he played with the Avalanche, and then I saw him a lot when he played with the St. Louis Blues from 2014 to 2018 from all those Blackhawks-Blues rivalry games. Um for those who were like, oh, Paul Stastny is retiring, his retirement might have seemed a little quiet to some people, and that's because it was kind of intentional. Stastny said that he came into the league quiet, and he wanted to leave the league quiet, which I thought was really cool, like analogy or comparison. And, you know, he said as long as his family and close friends knew, he, know, he knew word would eventually get out. Um, this decision has been made since the beginning of fall, so this is not something that's just like he decided right now. He kind of knew going into the year that this would be coming. Um, but he's closing the door on a very, very great NHL career. I, I think he's a great player, tremendous player. I read you his stats. To have 800 points in the NHL is definitely not easy to do. So congrats on a great career, Paul Stastny. Yeah, absolutely. Paul Stastny, just an absolute dog throughout his career. His father, Peter, played for the New Jersey Devils, which yep. I always appreciated the Stastny family for. Um, I really really am happy for him i mean he really pissed me off one year because remember the year the wild when zach parisi was like first on the wild i think it was his second full year with the team um they played the avalanche in the first round and they won in seven games but in the first two games when the wild went down 2-0 before making the comeback paul stastny was incredible he was so good, and I'm like, this guy, him and the Nate Dog, rookie Nate Dog, um, they're just lighting it up right now. I think I remember, yeah. And he just, he's been so good for so long. He he was kind of like a quiet superstar. You know, he wasn't like a Hall of Famer or anything like that. Right. He was just damn good for 17 years. What a career. What a career. Everything about his career was silent. He was like the silent killer. Yeah, absolutely. Loved watching him play. And, you know, a, another legend, a, like a true legend, also retired. We're talking about Joe Thornton. I have some thoughts about Joe Thornton, but I'm going to get those out in a couple minutes. Frank, what's your reaction to Joe Thornton officially retiring after all these years? Well, Joe Thornton has had many more seasons played than Paul Statsny. Um, Joe Thornton hung up the skates after 24 NHL seasons and over 1,700 games played. Thornton, unfortunately, never won the Stanley Cup, which is one of the things he was missing in his career. But I bet if you asked him about winning the Cup, he would tell you that winning a Cup wouldn't really define his career. 
Like, I'm sure he'd be upset, but he, it wouldn't matter to him. Not many people might remember how good Jor Thornton really was, especially if you just started watching hockey, like, recently in the past, like, 5, 10 years. But he, had, he has over 1,500 points in the NHL. He's a four-time All-Star, an Olympic gold medalist with Team Canada in twenty in the 2010 Winter Olympics. He also won the Art Ross Trophy and the Hart in the same year in 2005-2006. He had three years where he had more than 100 points. He had a career best 125 points in 2005-2006. I mean, we're talking about a true legend retiring from hockey. Joe Thornton was the meaning of hockey and the face of hockey really from like 1998 through 2016, to be honest with you. I mean, everybody was talking about Joe Thornton and knew how deadly he was, even in his later years, really up until like 2016. He'll be missed, but this won't be the last we see of him. We'll be seeing him many times throughout the years for honorings of him, um, retiring his number. That's something I have no doubt about. They will retire his number. They would be foolish not to. This is a true legend, and when guys like this retire, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad because we watched him for a lot of our lives too. Jumbo was one of my favorite players. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Now, which team do you think retires his number? Uh, the Sharks. Do you think the Bruins? Well, I, w- I was wondering if you I thought that, that was possible. Because with the Bruins, he had just about a point per game. He was better with the Sharks, probably overall. His best season, though, came when he won the Hart Trophy in 05-06. He also won mm-hmm. the scoring title. He was traded in the middle of the season. From the Bruins to the Sharks. Yeah, I know, but he performed so well with the Sharks. He oh, no, 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 I agree. Played. That year, I'm saying. Yes. But if social media existed in 2005 it existed it was in the very early stages you could only access facebook if you went to a university you had to put in your like student id or whatever to have make a facebook profile whatever uh x was in the early stages i twitter early stages um i i i know for a fact i would make fun of joey so hard if the bruins traded a guy that good in the middle of the season i just know it I know. And if he won the Hart Trophy that season, I'd make fun of him again in the summer. Like, it is insane to me to think that a guy like this having that good of a season was that productive and he was just moved midseason. The GM of the Bruins is like, all right, nah. And just dumb. I, I Sometimes you wonder, like, how some of these things happen. Jumbo was the number one overall pick in the 1997 NHL draft, and he lived up to every little bit of it. The number two pick in the same draft was Patrick Marlowe, who he ended up being a liney with for a very long time. The San Jose Sharks were so good during the Joe Thornton days, especially as he was like in his late 20s, early 30s, and they were going to Stanley Cup finals and you know Western Conference finals. The Hawks beat Joe Thornton and the San Jose Sharks in yeah. the 2010 Eastern or Western Conference finals to go to the Stanley Cup final where they would eventually beat Philadelphia and end the 49-year curse. I mean, Joe Thornton, he is one of he has over 1100 assists. Like he wasn't that much of a goal scorer. He had 400 something goals. That's a lot, but like for a guy that has 1500 points to only have 400 something goals, he is one of the greatest passers who ever lived. And just unreal player, great teammate, awesome leader. The Sharks were so lucky to have him for all those years. And, you know, he had a cup of coffee with the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 
Florida Panthers right at the end there. But, I mean, this guy's a legend. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. They will retire his number in San Jose. He was named to be an all-time great Bruin, uh, the 100 greatest Bruins ever. I think that's fair. I don't think they'll retire his number. But San Jose, man, they're going to retire. Uh, did they already retire Patrick Marlowe's number? Maybe they did already. They, they did. They did. Yeah, they did. And then they're going to do it. Um, They're certainly going to do it for Jumbo. I think I would. I you absolutely think? What do you mean you think? I think it's a lock. Well, I don't think I'll ever call anyone getting their jersey retired I, a lock. It has to be. It I, it would be for me. Frank, retiring a number is like you nobody can wear that number ever again. Like that's a big deal. I I I think they're going to. Frank, you're not trying to convince me. I I think they should. They did Patrick Marlowe. Patrick Marlowe was drafted by the Sharks and had more points with the Sharks. Jumbo was a better player overall. Yeah. He's not, like, he's not like a career shark. Too. Yeah. He, I, no, Joe Thornton was a better player than Patrick Marlowe. I'm not arguing that. He was, he's not Mr. Shark, though. He played eight years with the Bruins. How many did he play with the Sharks? He played a lot. He played for San Jose for fifteen years, parts of fifteen years. Yeah, and eight with the Bruins. He wasn't a, one he with wasn't Toronto. A shark forever, but come on, no, a little more than half his career was with the Sharks. Fifteen years, fifteen out of twenty-four. So yeah, that's insane. Well, parts of fifteen out of twenty-four. There was one half and half with the Bruins. Yeah, that's insane. No, I, he's a Anyone shark. Anyone who doesn't think. Uh, his number would be retired. You could message me at the King Bean on Twitter. You could slide into my DMs and uh, yeah, I'm give you a piece of my mind. I'm retiring his number if I'm San Jose too. I would. I I just I it's hard for me to like like who's a lock for I you know I would retire if I were the Hawks I would retire 88 19 and two, and then you could probably talk me into like giving at least a nomination or like a nice little banner for 10 50 for they don't have to be retired but they could be honored like if you want because you can't retire every number no you can't retire but seven seven's already getting retired for chelio so i think yeah. they should dual retire it i think at you that should, point you have to mention seabrook's name with seven i think you have to yeah but like it's not a lock you know i asked dylan the other day our buddy dylan do you think they're going to retire zach parisi's number with the wild and, like, he thinks, yes, I'm leaning no. I don't think so. It's just retiring a number is, like, you know, he's their all-time greatest forward probably until Capriza breaks all his points records. Or I could see them retiring Nico Koivu's number, though. I, I don't always think it's, like, who was the best player for, a sh like, a shorter – Sometimes, Nico, like – Nico Koivu had a different impact than Zach Parisi did with the Wild. Exactly. He was a free agent. Right. He was, like, the big dog that came to town later in his career. That's a little bit different, I Koivu think. Koivu was drafted, developed, all-time leading scorer. Like Joe Thornton is, like, the Sharks, though, when I think of him. I don't think of him as a Bruin. Like, ever. Which is crazy for someone who played – and I'm not saying you're wrong because I think of him as a Shark, too. But, like – he was a Bruin for eight years. What are you, where are you going to be eight years from now? Your life is going to change drastically over the next eight years. All right. And Jumbo played for the Bruins for that long. But then you think about where you're going to be in 15 years from now. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like he played almost double the time with the, uh, yeah. with the strike. It's just, I, 
it it seems like impossible that it doesn't happen. I'd I, be stunned. I yeah. would be so disappointed in the Sharks. I would be stunned too, and I also would be disappointed. I agree. We're talking about a man who's like, if he had a a couple few greater years, we're pushing like 16, 1700 points. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I agree. That's like, you're a legend. Yes. And I loved his uh, retirement video. Dude, shirtless with the hat on and... Oh my god! He hilarious. was a character. He yeah, was a character. I love him. I love him. Him and Brent Burns being on the same team. Remember when they did the body edition cover for Sports Illustrated, and they're both just like these white dudes with like hairy no, beards. I don't think and I've seen that. They did the body issue where they're like naked, but they obviously cover like their junk and everything. But like, it's the body issue, and it's Brent Burns and Joe Thornton, these two musty-looking hockey players with beards down to their toes. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. I would love to know if anybody's watching in the chat if you guys think Joe Thornton's a Hall of Famer. Or not a Hall of Famer. Would get his uh, number retired. I would love to know. If we're in the minority, there's no way. I would be like... Hall of Fame, lock, 100%. Number retired, 95% for me. Interesting. That's where I'm at. Um, Frank Ryan O'Reilly played in his 1,000th game. Talk nicely about him. Ryan O'Reilly, Stanley Cup champ. Con Smythe winner, Lady Bing winner, Selkie Trophy winner, played his 1,000th career NHL game yesterday against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, throughout his career, he played with Colorado, St. Louis, Buffalo, Toronto, now Nashville. Getting to 1,000 games this year is kind of crazy because everyone kind of expected him to do it last year with Toronto. However, injuries ultimately you know, prevented that from happening. You never know with injuries. Um, I don't think his days of getting 60 to 70 points are off the table. He has a career high of 77 points, but he is off to a hot start this year, and you never know where things are going to go. He says he still feels like he has a lot to give left in the NHL, in the tank. I believe he's still got a lot left in the tank at 32 years of age. I mean, all it takes is that one good hot streak, and he could break his career high. Like, I truly believe that. He's gotten seven points through his first nine games. He looks great. And this could be a year where he really bursts out again and starts knocking on the door of career-high numbers. We'll see. The Predators right now, middle-of-the-pack team so far. We'll see how this team plays this year. Obviously, a better Predators team would help better numbers for Ryan O'Reilly. I also thought it was pretty cool that the team wore T-shirts with his face on it that said Factor 1000. Got a solo lap in practice. I mean, it's good to see that the team is acknowledging him and embracing him. It's got to feel good. Not too many players could say they've reached a 1,000 career NHL games. It's definitely a feat to be proud of, and it's something that you really never dream of achieving as a kid. Absolutely. I mean, he's just been the ultimate like pro for, throughout his career, and the Blues gave up Tage Thompson late in his development to get Ryan O'Reilly, and it worked out so well for them. Mm-hmm. Nobody in St. Louis is ever going to complain about that trade. Tage Thompson can score 100 goals for Buffalo. It doesn't matter. Um, he was really good with Colorado. On that team I was talking about with Paul Stastny and the Nate Dog, and they lost to the Wild in seven games. Ryan O'Reilly was right there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was just out. Everywhere he went, his team had a chance to win. He goes to Toronto. Okay, they finally win a playoff series. Like, I think there's no coincidence there. Um, he's in Nashville. All of a sudden, they look like a much better team than people thought. You, He might have less points than Duchesne, but he's a better player, if that makes sense. 
he's always kind of been like Diet Bergeron or like, you know, he kind of, we just touched on Miko Koivu. We talked about him. Mm-hmm. Very similar player. Maybe a tad bit better. A tad bit better. But like the style of play, like a Diet Bergeron, fifth or sixth in Selkie voting every year. Yeah. Like that that's he Ryan O'Reilly. He did win the Selkie once. You're yeah. right. He, he, I, I am firmly saying he was better than Miko Koivu. But like, you know, that's the type of player I'm thinking of when I think of Ryan O'Reilly and man. What a good career it's been for him so far. I can't wait to see what's next for him in his Nashville Predators journey. Yeah. All right, Frank, rolling through a couple of the young guys here before we get to the third period. Uh, Macklin Celebrini, amazing start. One of the best starts in college hockey history. We are going to be getting into the college hockey weekend in a couple of days here. Um, Macklin Celebrini, he's going to be the number one overall pick in the 2023 or 2024 NHL draft. And boy, has he been good. He's the um, leading goal scorer in all of college hockey. He has eight goals. Since 1999-2000, no under-18 player has scored more goals in a single season than Jonathan Taves' 22 when he did it in 05-06 with the North Dakota. Um, Celebrini has eight goals in six games. I kind of think he's going to become the next under-18 player to score more than 22 goals in a season. I, if he stays healthy, I don't think there's any way he does. How many goals does he need to get to Taves' 22? I'm 14. very bad at math. 14 I don't know goals. how many games they play, though. Then it's how? in, like, the mid-30s. Oh, yeah. He should. Yeah. He should do it easily if he stays healthy. I mean, he's under two points per game right now. He's cooking. Boston University is off to a slow start, obviously. That kind of stinks for them. But, I mean, that hasn't stopped Mac from doing Mac things. I mean, he looks great right now, and he's going to look great in a Sharks uniform. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the Hawks broke a trend of the worst team in the league winning the number one pick. It was four straight years. So we'll see if it ends up being the Sharks. I actually hope it's the Sharks. I wouldn't mind it being... Will Smith, Max Celebrini. Oh, my God. Yeah. Actually, I hope it's the Sharks. Well, I, I hope one of the top two go to the Sharks. Who's Cole, Cole, Cole Iserman's a beast, too. Cole Iserman currently plays for the pro- program, and he's committed to BU. So he will play for um, Boston College next season and probably sign with whatever team drafts him at the end of next season, kind of like – you know how some college players do. We saw yeah. with Luke Hughes and stuff. We're going to see it with Lane Hudson, another BU guy this season. BU, they are off to a slow start in terms of wins and losses. I think they figure it out. They got to make the field of 16. And then if they're, they're in the field right now, yeah, if they're in the field of 16 by the end of the year, the tournament, I think we hear Bucci calling a game of his in the Frozen Four. Like I could see them, Max Celebrini will put the team on his back in those. And they have Lane Hudson too, who makes life a lot easier for his forwards in front of him too. And Macklin's he's got one year with his brother too on this BU team and they're they're just so good. They're so good from top to bottom and I can't wait for the bean pot because Boston College is unreal too. Um, you know, Northeastern who was unreal for like the last couple of years, they're probably the worst of the four right now. Harvard's up there. I don't know. It'll be interesting. BU and BC, though, I think have the upper hand in the bean pot this year after kind of being the worst two in the out of the four mm-hmm. for the last handful of years. But Boston College is very good. Yeah, Boston College is awesome. They're very, very good. It's probably the best football hockey combination right now. No, probably Michigan. Oh uh, yeah, it's probably Michigan. The Sign Steelers. Um, 
But yeah, Salabrini, he's awesome. You know who else is awesome? Mr. First Star of the Month, Jack Hughes, leads the NHL with 18 points in eight games. Frank, what are your thoughts on Mr. Hughes, the number one overall pick in the 2019 NHL draft? Jack Hughes is sizzling. Absolutely sizzling. Um, honestly, Jack Hughes, well, we knew this, though. I kind of said this last week. I think it was last week. It's going to get 100 points easy, I think. I mean, unless I uh, jinxed them. But Jack Hughes is just unbelievable right now. I mean, what's their – I mean, I don't even know what to say about him, to be honest with you, because like, there's just – there's so much good about him. Like, is he still – how many points does he have? I'm trying to get his – 18. Uh, and how many games? Eight. Nine? Eight. So he's like right around two points per game. His production came down a little bit because he was almost three points per game. You can't keep three point per game pace. Or this dude's gonna have like two hundred and ten points. Um, no, I, I love what I've seen from Jack Hughes. He's the face of the Devils. Um, I mean, he's doing everything right. The Devils developed him the right way. Started out his career, you know, he played sixty one games in the first season as a rookie, twenty one points, and he got thirty one points, fifty eight points, ninety nine points, and now he's just probably gonna break a hundred. So. Really, everything that's been going on with Jack Hughes has been done the right way, and it shows in this Devils team. The Devils were off to a slow start. Now look at them. They're playing a lot much better hockey as of late, and, I mean, you should be excited. I am excited. 5-2-1, and one, Jack Hughes leading the way. I don't think like 100, and t- I've said this many times, I don't think 120 points is out of the question. Like he could be second in league scoring. I, he could even lead the league in scoring if McDavid has 120 points and Jack Hughes has 120. Like, I think he's right there in terms of top five player in the league. I mean, who would you take over him? I think right now you would say McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, McKinnon, McCarr. Yeah. You can argue you'd rather Jack over like a Dreisaitl or Matthews right now. You yeah, he's really, sensational. really could. And he's got the pedigree. He was a number one pick. It's not like I'm naming some guy who like burst onto the scene. Jack Hughes was the best player in the history of the United States development program. You know, a league that's been pumping out superstars for a long ass time. He skipped college to play in the NHL at 18 years old. It's not like I'm talking about Matthew Poitra off to a hot start claiming him as Jack Hughes was supposed to be this. He was supposed to be a top poster boy in the NHL. He has been so far. He's the first star of the month for October. He's right now. He's the best player in the league. He had a better October than McDavid. Yeah, he did. There's no doubt. He did. And it's not because of the injury. McDavid missed two games. I bet McDavid probably even played in eight games because a lot of teams have played 10 while the Devils have only played eight. So if McDavid missed two of their 10, they played the same amount of games. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, Tyler Toffoli was the first star of the week. All He's playing with Jack Hughes. Toffoli called Jack Hughes the best player he's ever played with. Guys don't just say that. It's not just because he's on his team now. You never heard Toffoli say something like that before. He's played mm-hmm. with some great players. He's played with superstars, champions. Kopitar has been his linemate. Jeff Carter has been his linemate. Guys going to the Hall of Fame. Drew Doughty, he's played with. Defenseman, but it's just unreal what this kid can do. I can't wait to watch more. And speaking of not being able to watch more, a guy that I think will be competing with Jack Hughes and McDavid and Matthews and McCarr for best player in the league three to four years from now, wouldn't that be a world if Jack Hughes, McDavid, and Bedard were the three best players in the NHL? I, <laughs> I think that world exists. I it's do cool. absolutely think that world exists. I um, think so. He's been unreal, dude. 
you know, he's not going to have 100 points. He's a rookie, bad team. Um, Felino made a great pass to him against Vegas, though. That chip oh, yeah. he made, and Bedard received it and changed the angle of the shot in one moment. Felino's been great. Yeah, Felino's been great. Happy birthday to him. It was his birthday Happy yesterday. Birthday. He had a great fight against the yep. Coyotes. Great fight. Great fight. Yeah, Nick Felino's a beast. Um, watching the way Connor Bedard can take advantage of good passes, though, because that goal he scored against the Coyotes, the pass from Korczynski, oh. the way Connor Bedard can take advantage of these great passes, I'd be on the phone right now if I was Kyle Davidson. I would be trying to get him any kind of pass or line mate uh, to play because Hall's great. He's going to be hurt a lot, I think, this year. It just kind of is trending in that direction. Um, they need to get a good passer, and I'm not worried about tanking with the Hawks at all. I don't, but I don't. I'm not saying I care if they win. I just don't care if they lose. Last year, I wanted them to lose every game they yeah. played so they can go for Bedard. You know where I stand on that. This year. Yeah, if they win the lottery, that'd be nice. Macklin Celebrini, good player. I don't think um, it matters if they win or lose. They just need Bedard to play well. I'd go get him a passer. And he's been playing fantastic. Got his fourth goal of the year, sixth point of the year. I mean, it's funny that his two goals were against the Knights. And you know how, like, some guys two of his just three. play. What? Two of his three goals. I thought he has four goals. That was his fourth goal. Because he has yeah. one against the Bruins, two against the Knights, yeah, and one two, two of his four goals. Yes, two of his four. Two, goals. Yeah, two of his four goals um, are against the Knights, which I think is funny because you know how like some players just play great against certain teams. Well, maybe Connor Bedard is just like the Golden Knights killer in the future, and every time he plays the Knights, just wreck havoc every time he plays them. But no, I love what I'm seeing with Bedard. He has four goals through nine games. People, do the math. If you keep that pace, that's 36 goals this year. If he has 36 goals, four for every nine games, that's insane. That would be 81 games because nine times nine, nine times four. Yeah, 36 goals. If he has a 36-goal season, congrats. He hit the over on the 35-and-a-half that it was set on him. I mean, what more do we expect? He's not going to be an Alex Dabrinkit and have nine goals through how many games? I mean, come on now, people. The goal against the Coyotes was absolutely beautiful. He's only played f- how many games? nine games in his NHL career. And I love what I'm seeing. And he's slowly getting better at what he's doing. I don't know if you noticed, but the early, the first few games, Bedard started taking shots further out, not blue line shots, but decently further out. Now he's starting to take shots closer than that. He's starting to move in. Um, He's been working on the range. There's mid range shot his longer range, but he's starting to move in and that's going to be crucial. And they were, it was so cool. They were like dissecting it on ESPN the one night. And, you know, he's still trying to perfect his game and see what sticks. The NHL is a big step up in talent. But once he finds his sweet spot and sees what works, he's going to continue to cook. And I love what I've seen from him. I'm a little surprised that he's yet to have a multi-goal or a multi-point game. But I just feel like that when he eventually does, he's getting the floodgates are going to burst open. He's going to end up having a four-point night. Not worried about it. Production's great so far. Exactly what I've expected, honestly, through this first nine games. It should be five goals. He had one yeah. taken off the board. It wasn't his fault. It was a six snipe against an elite goalie. Yep. Like, I mean, Connor Bedard is unreal. He doesn't have the line mates right now where he's like making all these sick plays with them and like creating goals for them. That'll come. 
Connor Bedard's playmaking ability is so underrated. He's on so pace for 36 goals, VP. Yeah, I think he hits 40 with ease because he'd be on pace for in the mid-40s if that one tuck went in. Do you know how good that is like, for an 18-year-old? Yeah. 100%. 40 goals potentially. Frank, Jack Hughes might be the best player in the NHL. He had like 30 points in his rookie year. You, you know, it was a size thing for him, I think, too. But, and you know, Connor Bedard, he's different, though. He's a different small than Jack Hughes. He's a lot more shifty. Mm-hmm. The way he, like, ev- evades defenders and, like, I don't know. I'd, I'd be on the phone getting him a passer right now. Right now. I think, he, I think he took his first penalty the other night. Yeah, he did. Um, he did first penalty of the year, right? Yeah. He... He's not going to have nine goals in his first nine games like Debrinket. Oh, you mean Debrinket, the guy who played with Patrick Kane right at the tail end of his, like, true prime? I mean, Patrick Kane was setting up Debrinket crazy. Um, I I literally think Bedard, he, he'd have way more goals right now if he was playing with Prime Kane. I firmly, but Prime Kane, they wouldn't have gotten Bedard at all. Uh, Bedard with Oliver Moore and Reichel, uh, next year's pushing it. They really, really want Reichel to play center, and I don't understand why. They are pushing Reichel to play center so hard. It's like the, the fact that we're nine games in and he has zero points and we still haven't moved him off center is crazy to me. You have to put him on the wing and get him on the board. I don't you know. You want to yeah. put him back to the center once he has a little bit of confidence back? Okay, fine. But you have to get right. He was so good at the end of last. I'm not out on Reichel. I know what I'm I saw either. last season. I know what I saw last season when he was playing on the wing. Put him on Bedard's wing now. I, I can't. And uh, There was an update today. Who was he playing with today? There was a report. Hold on. I'll find that for you in a second. Uh, Romeliotis, who agreed to come on the podcast. I haven't confirmed a date with him yet, but he's coming on. Um, he, he tweeted something today um, about... Reichel's new lineies. Um, he asked him, are you frustrated by your lack of production? He goes, of course I am. Um, of course I'm pissed. I'm frustrated. I want to score. It's more fun if you score. That's why I'm a forward. But I can try to stay positive and keep working. Yeah, well, all right, finally, finally. Updated lines and pairings. Bedard with Felino and Kurashev. Fine. Kurashev's a good player. Felino will go to the front of the net and piss a bunch of people off. Um, Reichel is on the left side of Athanasiu and Radish. Okay. So put him back on the wing. Maybe Taylor Radish could make a couple plays. Athanasiu's got speed that can match Connor Bedard. Uh, I think Athanasiu is capable of making a couple plays. Do I've always liked Athanasiu as like a good third line player. He's a second line player on this bad Blackhawks team. But um, Dickinson with Donato and Tyler Johnson on the third line. They firmly got Tyler Johnson on the wing now. I've noticed. And then they have Entwistle with Perry and Kachuk on the fourth line. Um, it's an abomination of a forward group. But you put you put Reichel back on the wing. I think he finally like. Don't be surprised if Bedard or if Reichel finally gets back on the board. Are they playing tonight? No, it's Saturday. Night. It is Saturday the next time they play. Long uh, break. Yeah, which probably good for them. They That means they play Saturday and Sunday because your boy will be there with the New Jersey Devils in town. Um, oh, tough break for the Hawks. Panthers, Devils, yikes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I like Reichel. I think he's a first-round pick for a reason. He's going to get on the board. And then, like you like to say, I do think the floodgates will open because um, they're – they're going to be smart with him. I'm just happy he's on the wing now. I'm not sure 
Oliver Moore plays in the NHL next season. It wouldn't shock me if he goes back to college for another year. You know, they they that decision always has to be made. Be it's not like junior, like what the yeah. Bruins were able to do with Poitra. Like, oh, come play nine games, kid, and we'll see. He either plays for the Ice Hogs or the uh, Blackhawks next year. And I think if he caught wind that he was going to mostly spend the year uh, playing in Rockford, probably just goes back to college. Oliver Moore would be my guess. It's what I would do. Um, I know the pay increase is significant playing in the AHL over college because you don't get paid nothing in college. But I don't know. That's just uh, Oliver Moore next year. That'd be cool, Tom. It would be cool. That'd be cool. For it sure. Would mean, it would mean if that happens, that means that by April, Kyle Davidson loved what Moore did in college so much that he signed him up and got him in the lineup before the end of this year even, I think. Like right when his college season is done, they get him signed up and he plays a couple of games this year. I hope it happens. That would be cool. Actually. I hope it happens. And you know what? If you're going to sign him and you're going to bring him into this situation, put him with Bedard now. None of this fourth line crap that other teams like to do with their young players. This isn't Matthew Nyes. Love Matthew Nyes. Great player. The Leafs don't put him with Matthews or anything like like they, they shouldn't. But I don't know. Oliver Moore is a very intriguing player, though. I like where this Blackhawks team is going. I really do. Yeah, they I do too. suck right now, though. There's a lot to look forward to, though. Colton Dock playing with the Rockford Icehawks, too, now. He's finally it's, healthy. And, and it's not as painful anymore. Like, there were many years with the Hawks, you know, it was very painful. It's part of going through the rebuild. Still painful, but not as painful. Definitely yep. not as painful. Agreed. Agreed. And the pain is almost over. A few more years, pain's almost over. Dude, rebuilding is fun though. That's the thing I'll tell like well, if you're a Blackhawks fan listening, enjoy it. It's fun. You see there'll be there'll be a Jesper Brat for them, I think. Someone will come out of nowhere and be awesome, right? Every, every that happens for everyone. You find a late round pick that's great for you. It was Andrew Shaw, um, Dustin Bufflin, mm-hmm. guys like that come up as late round picks. I won't say Brandon Saad was a second round pick. Like, you know, second round picks should turn out to be pretty good NHL pieces, middle six forwards or what have you. Um, not every second round pick can be Duncan Keith or Patrice Bergeron, but you know. Connor Bedard, he's in a good spot. They're they're doing good things around him. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see like two years from now, Davidson being like GM of the year. Wow! Like because of everything that he built and it all finally came together. Like if you if you're because I think the long term plan is for more to play center, but his speed, man, he's his so his speed might allow him to play center, but. And also, like, can he keep up with Bedard and score? Like, create time and space using his speed for Bedard? You know, does that change the trajectory of what position he plays? I don't know. I For a long time, I thought Bedard was going to play wing. You know, that's what the Regina Pats were telling us. And then all of a sudden, he's a center. And like, Team Canada, he dominates the World Juniors and scores the golden goal. He's playing center. All of a sudden, we think he's a center. Like, okay. So, you know, when they're really young, it's hard to truly determine. Mm-hmm. But I think it's pretty clear Bedard's a center now. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, all right, Frank. Change. No, I don't think it's going to change at all. We will move on, and we are going to kind of switch gears into a whole entire different stratosphere in period number three. Welcome to period three. Frank, the Bears stink. They made a huge trade, though. 
they get Montez Sweat from the Washington Commanders. What are your thoughts? It's a little weird, to be honest with you. Get manhandled by the Chargers. What do you expect there? Then he makes some shockwaves by getting Montez Sweat from the Commanders. Commanders right now, they got a fire sale going over there. They're getting rid of everybody. Oh, you want Sweat? You could have him. Oh, you want Chase Young? You could have him. We're just getting rid of everybody. But it's very interesting and weird for the Bears to make this move because, first of all, the Bears don't like to spend lots of money. And uh, Sweat's going to need a contract extension after this year. So what are we doing? Are we going to finally spend money? We're going to pay him to a long extension? Or we just sign him to try and flip him? I mean, I, I don't understand. I assume you got him because you want him to stay and help off and help the line out a bit. But, I mean, maybe I'm giving the Bears too much credit, but I see them finishing like four wins this year. Getting two yeah. four probably wins max. Probably beat the Panthers. Maybe even lose to the Panthers, but. I mean, it's a winnable game, and then just picking up another win later on. But the sweat, to me, this trade didn't make a ton of sense. It's not for this year, the trade. So they are signing him the long term. I I think Ryan pulls to spend money. Right. Well, they have to. They wow. have to now. They have the That's most. They have the most cap space in the NFL. It's not the most. It's not a first like all time. They, the Recently Bears spend. The Bears spend yeah. money. They I'm get, not talking about in their whole franchise oh like with this regime yeah, yeah no they haven't spent any they've been tanking they've been firmly tanking trying to get good draft picks and hitting on those draft picks it worked last year you know they got an elite wide receiver out of having the number one pick and another number one pick this year um with the panthers pick so they're gonna have two number one picks this year i mean you know there are some good things they've done i actually like the trade for sweat because he doesn't make them that much better this year because the whole team around him isn't great. But against the run, statistically, Sweat is the third best defensive end in the NFL. You know, he's up there with guys like um, John Blank and the guy on the Browns, Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, like these Crosby. He's on all sorts of different types of lists with these guys. He's a former number one overall, or not number one overall, but number one first round pick himself. And he's a dog. You're not going to get a player like him in the second round with that pick that they sent over to the commanders. They're just not. Um, talk about Chase Young. Four teams reached out to the commanders, and I got this from good people. Four teams reached out to the commanders on Chase Young, gave him health exams, failed his exam with all four of them, and all of them said, nope. The 49ers came along. They're like, okay, we're the 49ers. We're giving you a third-round pick that we are, a, yeah, it's a third round pick, but it's a compensatory pick that was given to them because one of their executives signed with another team. So they basically got Chase Young for free. And if he gets hurt and the knee doesn't hold up, they're still the 49ers and they have superstars, all they have Hall of Famers all over the defense. As Shorty points out in the chat, they're in win now mode. Like, of course. Um, it's one of those things like, the 49ers, they could take that risk. The Bears, they're not taking that risk. Um, they they have if if they don't extend sweat, they have to. Poles gets fired. They have I mean, to, there's no the, way. There's I agree, there's no way. It's just they haven't proved to me that they will do that. So that's why I'm a little skeptical. Well, they but, will at minimum franchise tag them. You have to. But they want to probably franchise tag Jalen Johnson. But Jalen Johnson's a different case. I don't think – I think Jalen Johnson's great. He's awesome. 
But I don't think he's worth the franchise tag. He's not worth 19 million. He's probably worth like 13 million or 14 million. Where <laughs> um <laughs> the, this guy. I mean, there was a whole two hours of hockey talk ahead of us talking about the first football. period about the Bruins was over an hour. Literally, literally, we talked about the Bruins, probably the most of any team on this show, I would say. Hawks are close, probably. We brushed over the Devils, talked about Jack Hughes for a handful of minutes. But, yeah, we're talking football now. If you don't like it, get out. Um, just kidding. I love you. Um, Jalen Johnson, not worth the, funny, not worth the money, I don't <laughs> think, that a franchise tag will pay. I do think Sweat is worth the money a franchise tag will pay. He's a $20 million a year player. He's awesome. He's a and fantastic it, player. It comes after, do you know Philip Rivers wasn't touched once? They didn't, wow. sack, they didn't get him one time. And it, people always just go sacks, sacks, sacks. Got to talk about sacks. How many sacks did he have? That's not the only thing defensive ends and defensive linemen worry about. They Quarterback pressure is what it's all about. Stopping the run is what it's about. That's what defensive linemen are for. It's not all about getting sacks. Yes, do I want Montez Sweat to have 13 sacks a season? Absolutely I do. But the fact that he doesn't have 20, you know, challenging or 18 sacks, challenging Robert Quinn's all-time Bears record, that's not all I'm looking for with a defensive end. That's just not. So I think it's a great trade. He was never hitting free agency. Um, yeah, you got to go get a guy like that. Now, if you retain Jalen Johnson and you retain this guy's sweat, you have two pretty good players on defense to build around at two of the most important positions on defense, too. So, you know, linebacker is a depth position in today's NFL. I know a bunch of old school Bears fans. Hey, man, what about Dick Buckkiss? What about Brian Urlacher? And linebacker is not what it was. 10, 15, 20 years ago, just like running backs, mm -hmm. what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. You know, today's NFL is about having a good left tackle, a great defensive end, a quarterback, and an awesome secondary. The Bears have a couple of these pieces in place ready to rock. So I like the trade. So if the Bears flip them, you fire Ryan Poles? If they flip them, like trade them? Yeah. No. If they get a good haul back, no. If they lose him for nothing, you fire Ryan Poles. <laughs> okay. I mean, Ryan Poles, he's not on the hot seat, but it's starting to get a little warm. It's starting to boil. Gave, not boil. Like, the water's getting hot. But. He gave a vote of confidence to Matt Eberflus today, and that really pisses me off. You just say nothing. Well, Hey, you know what, guys? We'll evaluate Matt Eberflus at the end of the season. Or we'll talk about Matt Eberflus. That's what he should be. I have a vote of confidence. I have a vote of confidence for the coach that's won five games. And there was a 14-game losing streak in between wins three and four. Okay? You do not give a vote of confidence to a coach like that. If you don't want to shit on him, fine. I don't like to shit on people either. I don't like coming on this show and talking crap about people that stink at their job, but I do. But... Polls was weird today. I agree. You can't give a vote of confidence to Matt Eberflus. You just can't. This guy has won five games. Five! And there was a 13-game, 14-game losing streak in between wins three and four. I don't yeah. want to hear a vote of confidence for that guy. You want to say, oh, well, you know what? We'll reevaluate the situation at the end. Whoever is asking him the question, whether it be Brad Biggs 
or Courtney Cronin or any of these people that are in the room asking him the questions, you don't say, you know, I'm giving a vote of confidence to our head coach that sucks. <laughs> we'll reevaluate it later, Courtney. Thank you for the question. Brad, I don't feel like talking about Matt Eberflus right now. This is about Montez Sweat. You don't give a vote. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just not how I would handle things if I were the GM. Boy, do I get fired up when we talk about the beloved, don't I? It's how I was last week. It's true. All right, Frank, let's roll through everyone's favorite. Well, everyone's second favorite segment on this show. Um, we're going to go through our top 10 NFL teams according to us. Frank, starting with number 10. Number 10. Unfortunately, I have the Buffalo Bills. It's very sad that I sit here with the Bills in the 10th spot. The strongest part of the Bills team is their defense, and that's gone flat lately. You know, weeks two through four, Josh Allen looked like an MVP caliber quarterback. The team looked like an MVP caliber team, like Super Bowl contenders. It's like, oh, shit, they finally found their, their shit weeks two through four. I do think they have what it takes to turn the team around, but things need to happen quick because the remaining schedule of the Bills, they see them play the Bengals this week, and then going forward, they got to play the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Dolphins. I mean, if things don't turn around quickly, they're going to be in trouble for the postseason. But if they make it to the postseason, which I think they will, be prepared to not take them lightly. They could be a very dangerous postseason team. Bills at 10. No one circles the wagon like the Buffalo Bills. I do not have them at 10. I have them at, I'll tell you when, where I have them in a couple minutes. At number 10, I have the Seattle Seahawks. Frank, the Seattle Seahawks, they're having a good season, right? Like, I'm, I, I, they're the, probably the only team I'm not, like, going to poop on over the next three picks because a lot of the time the bottom 10 are people that were in the top part of the top 10, but then they fell off. That's not how the Seahawks are. They've kind of been 8, 9, 10 all season long. Teams have fallen below them. Teams have jumped up over them. You know, if the team I currently have at 12 or 13 became 9 and Seattle stayed at 10 over the next hand, I would not be surprised. You know, teams like the Browns or the Chargers or the Steelers, teams like that who are not in my top 10, I could see them jumping in. Right now I have the Seahawks at number 10. The reason being they are 5-2. and two. They have the best record in the NFC West, not the 49ers which is crazy, but the, they haven't had the buy yet. The 49ers are on, the, or they've had the buy already. The 49ers are about to go through their buy right now. Um, I still think the 49ers end up winning the division. The Seahawks, they find ways to win. They run the football. They play good defense. I don't love Geno Smith, but he's been a fine quarterback, a fine winning quarterback since going to Seattle. He doesn't lose them games. He doesn't necessarily win them for his team, but he's not Justin Fields who stinks or, you know, mm -hmm. someone who's bad. He goes there. He does his job. He kind of reminds me of, like, what Jared Goff is doing with the Lions. We'll get to them in a minute, I'm sure. But, like, he just goes there and he helps them win, makes the plays he needs to make. They're 5-2. and two. They'll be in the playoffs. They're a pretty good team. At number nine, I have the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins are probably the biggest frauds in the NFL. I think they're good. They have the best offense in the NFL by far. They have scored 271 points. I'm looking right now. No other team has scored 250. Who's second highest? I'm trying to figure out second highest right now. They have 271. I think second highest is probably the Bills at 222. No, the Eagles have scored the Eagles have scored 224. The Eagles have scored 224. Only two more points than the Bills. If the Bills get a safety more this weekend than the Eagles, they'll pass them. Um 
and I also haven't counted games played and all that, but you know, the Dolphins, they're six and two. They've given up 271 points. Guess what, Frank? They've also given up 204 points. Their defense rough. Only the New England Patriots, last place. Denver Broncos, last place. Indianapolis Colts, last place. Commanders, second to last place. Cardinals, last place. Bears, last place, have given up more points than the Miami Dolphins. They have a last-place-level defense and an all-world offense with Tyreek Hill and Waddle and Tua. Their offense is awesome. Uh, they're not going to outscore everyone they play all season long. Though I just don't see it that way. The Dolphins at number nine. And very interesting. I'll get to the Dolphins eventually. But uh, number nine, I got the Dallas Cowboys. I've never seen a team more dependent on home field advantage. If the Cowboys are playing at home, they're the best team in the NFL. When they're playing on the road, they're the worst team in the NFL. When it comes to the postseason, you're going to have to win some pl- uh, playoff road games. And for a franchise that have shown that they can't win uh, in the postseason, as it is, how are they going to expect to do that on the road when they get to that point? They have wor- they they haven't wowed me at any point this year, but they're still playing good football nonetheless. I can't deny that. I can't imagine how bad they're going to lose on the road to Philly this week. But if the Cowboys can show some signs of life on the road this week, maybe I'll consider moving them up higher on this list. But for right now, they're number nine. Number eight, I got the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff playing some of the best football he has ever played in his NFL career. This team is 6-2. and two. They're the best team, clearly, in the NFC North Division. But it sucks that as a 6-2 and two team, I can't put them up higher on my list. That's because I could see them squeaking out a postseason win, but I don't think I could see them winning three or four in a row to win a Super Bowl. They just haven't proved that at all through eight weeks so far. Um, so that's why I got the Detroit Lions at number eight. Very good, Frank. Um, at number eight, I have the Buffalo Bills. Um, I have the Bills higher on a list than Frankie, yeah. who never really poops on them. They they could lose sixty nine to nothing, and Frankie would be like, "But they were." Um, you know, I I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. They're not as Josh Allen dependent this season, which is obviously a plus. Big win last week. Their defense is unreal. They've only given up one hundred and thirty six points. And, you know, I I just I don't know if I trust their like pedigree anymore. And like, do I think they're going to make the playoffs? Yes, they're five and three. Okay, I I just when they play teams that are like marginally better than them, they lose. And they've had a tough time beating some teams that they're better than on paper. So they're a five and three team. They'll probably be in the wild card. I do think Miami probably. But I actually I do think the Bills find a way to come up and win the division. I do. And. They, they have an advantage at quarterback in almost every game they play. And so that's why I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit coming into this week because I I think it's good for them. This is going to sound weird. I think it's good for them that they're not just dominating every game they play. Two years ago, if they played a one-score game, they lost. If they, they had like 12 wins and 11 of them, they won by multiple scores. Mm-hmm. I like that this year they're five and three. Teams are challenging them. They're learning how to win one-score games a little bit. They've also lost a couple one-score games. Tough game against the Jags in uh, London. Patriots. The Patriots, who always play them tough. Um, 
it's one of those things like I, I like I can't put the Bills like in that upper echelon yet. And you know how early in the season I was like kind of down on them. And now I'm starting to like think like, are we kind of underrating them now a little bit at this point? It's kind of where I'm at with them at number eight. At number seven, a team that I legitimately thought might be cooked, but I should have learned my lesson last year when they started three and three and then lost on Monday night football against the Cleveland Browns to become three and four. You might remember we watched it on Halloween. Browns Mm -hmm. versus this team on Monday night football on Halloween. We watched it together. And the Battle of Ohio didn't go their way, but it's the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow looks healthier than ever. He looks so good. Ooh, is he looking good. And I could see this team getting into the playoffs, finding a way to win a wild card game, and then all of a sudden you blink and they're in the AFC championship game with a lead in the fourth quarter. And it's like, do they have the the ability to hold on to this thing and get it done? I absolutely think it's possible. Um, but right now I love the way the bills are playing. They are trending upward on this season and Joe Burrow, he just clearly wasn't himself early on in the season. The calf injury that he sustained in the preseason, not good. They probably would have been better off starting like zero and three and letting Joe get fully healthy and kind of like not delaying the inevitable, but it ended up working out. He looks good. As long as he stays healthy the rest of the way, I think the Bengals are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I like that pick. My number seven, it's going to be very shocking. It's a VP, very shocking to all the viewers. I kind of smirked because last night when we were watching Colin Coward's top 10, we both nailed number seven on the dot. I got the San Francisco 49ers at number seven. You go from one on my list every week down to the seventh on the power ranking scale for me. Brock Purdy was undefeated as a starter, and he's now lost three in a row. I mean, come on. All right, things are looking a little, you know, sus. Stats would support that it is tough to lose three regular season games in a row and then go on to win the Super Bowl. I think it has happened. It did happen um, with the Rams a couple years ago, a few years ago. But it's not too often that that happens. Um, I think we're learning that. Listen, Brock Purdy, great QB. I'd love to have him on my team. Great QB gets the job done. You could win a Super Bowl with him. But he doesn't possess the clutch gene like some of the other elite quarterbacks in the NFL hold. If they're down late in a game, is he the type of quarterback that could lead you to a game-winning drive? I don't know if he's got that gene, like someone like Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Like, you know, they throw up those stats when it's like, oh, uh, game-winning drives in the fourth quarter and overtime with less than two minutes to go. I don't think Brock Purdy's that type of guy. I like Brock Purdy, don't get me wrong, but. At least he can't do it against the better teams in the NFL. From what I've seen, I got the 49ers at seven. Number six, I got the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are back, baby. They look so good on the road against the 49ers. Joe Burrow, leg, his leg doesn't look like beef jerky anymore. They ha- they've won three games straight, and two of those wins were against projected playoff teams. It seems like Joe Burrow slowly getting everyone in the offense going, not just Jamar Chase, but Mixon's cooking. T. Higgins is starting to cook a little bit, and if that continues, expect the Bengals to be Super Bowl contenders once again. Absolutely. At number six, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes had an IV the night before the game. They got crushed by the Denver Broncos, ending a 16-game losing streak for the Broncos against the Chiefs. Now, Tom Brady struggled in Denver. 
his whole career. Now, whether it was Kyle Orton or Jay Cutler or Peyton Manning on the other side, Tom Brady struggled in Denver. He played a much better Broncos team, and the conditions are always hard in Colorado. Patrick Mahomes, yeah, they have the conditions factor, but they don't necessarily have a very good team during most of Patrick Mahomes' tenure so far. So, you know, I'm leaning towards, you know, okay, the, the Chiefs, they had a really weird loss to the uh, Broncos. They're still tied for the best record in the AFC, but I just haven't loved the way their offense has played so far this season. It hasn't really clicked the way that I think it can otherwise. So they are 6-2. and two. They've only scored 187 points. There are some teams in worse positions than them that have scored more, but they've only given up 129 points, which is near the bottom of the entire NFL. Their defense has been awesome. All world. It's the best defense Patrick Mahomes has ever had, ever had. And they're fast and they're young and they're ball hawks and they make it where he gets on the field better. So I really like their defense. I'm stunned they didn't make a trade for a receiver. I thought they'd call the Bears and ask about Mooney. I thought they would see who's available out there. And they they just they didn't go for like a guy like that. They're hoping that Kelsey can be healthy and they could win with what they got. Um, it is what it is at this point, but I have the Chiefs at number six. I could see them still once they get to the playoffs, though. They're the team nobody's going to want to play. At number five, I have the Detroit Lions. If the season were to end today, I would pick the Lions to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. I, I really, because I'm looking at the a NFC in general, and the two teams that are supposed to be like competing for the top spot are the Eagles and the 49ers. Well, we'll get to them in a minute. I still have them higher on the list, but like right now, the Lions are that team. They've scored 200 points, which is near the top in the league, scored exactly 200. They've also only given up 165. And the NFC North has actually, they've scored less than every other division, but they've also given up less than every other division. The The teams aren't all that good. The Vikings are four and four, the Packers are two and five, and the Bears are two and six. But the Lions, man, They've played all these games. They looked like dog crap against one of the teams ranked higher than them that I'll get to in a minute. But it's just one of those things. Like, I can really see this Lions team. I like the way they play. Goff has been awesome. Goff has been to a Super Bowl, which is something that every single quarterback ahead of them on my list, except one, cannot say. And it wouldn't shock me at all. They play hard for their coach. Um, he's crying about the players he loves to the media the other day. I mean, this guy just loves football. He loves his team. And yeah, the, the Lions, man, number five. I never thought they'd ever get to this high on my list ever while watching them throughout their franchise's history. I hated the way they approached the trade deadline, though. Absolutely hated it. I thought they could have secured their path to the top of the NFC if they would have had a good trade deadline. You you fear becoming the White Sox if winning multiple championships comes ahead of winning the next championship. Like, the White Sox, all they cared about was, like, sustained success, going for multiple titles. Uh, let's win one, and we'll figure out how to win multiple thereafter. Like, it's just preserving everything for the future when Goff is your quarterback and your defense is great and didn't love the trade deadline for the Lions in any way, shape, or form. But 
we'll see how they go going forward. They're very interesting there to see them at a five. You're my number five. It's your team VP, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are the most impressive team in the NFL this year. I really do. Ever since they were one and two, and we talked about can they recover, I knew they had it within them, and we never doubted them. They beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh in bad weather. That's tough to do. They had three turnovers in that game, too, and still managed to hold on the fort. Very impressive. It's hard to win when, you, uh, when you're when you playing against the Steelers on the road and you have three turnovers. But nonetheless, they got it down and won by double digits. I mean, this team is well-ran from coaching to management, the whole thing. It's a very, very well-run team, and there's a reason that they're 6-2 and two for the first time in this millennium, VP. I mean, this is the, one of the best Jaguars teams we've ever seen. And there's a reason for that. And Trevor Lawrence, he hasn't been overly impressive, but the team will find ways to win and adapt to the team that they're playing. And I honestly think they have the second best running back in the league with Travis Etienne. He's been sensational. Hopefully they don't become too dependent on him. I do want to see uh, Trevor Lawrence improve a little bit more from what we've seen, but Travis Etienne's been a beast. This team's been a beast. And it's good to see them in the top five. It's a fresh face in the top five for me. Number four, got the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost to the Broncos. Patrick Mahomes was sick. But they really don't have weapons on offense except for Tra Travis Kelsey. If something happens to Kelsey, I don't know how this team gets it done. Like normally Patrick Mahomes, he makes everybody on the field better. But I'm just not seeing that this year. It's a shame. Mahomes is actually on pace for his career worst numbers. Um I mean, every great quarterback has down years, but this team has shown nothing better than being number four on my list. Absolutely. They keep finding ways to win the Chiefs. I, I just am going to chalk it up to Matt Nagy, I think. I mean, it, it's just crazy. Like, he's on pace for career worst numbers when you have the best defense that this team has ever had with Patrick Mahomes. And now you decide to have career worst numbers. Yeah, I don't think it's his fault. Bad receivers, bad scheme. Matt Nagy yeah. stinks. They got nothing. Um, at number four, I have the San Francisco 49ers. They were one on my list, and a bunch of weeks in a row, they kept getting the benefit of the doubt. I thought about dropping them to like seven or eight like you did. I couldn't move them down past the Lions um, for this last time. Like this last chance, you get my like kind of benefit of the doubt. I don't necessarily think it like – is something that is going to last this losing streak, but also like they've proven that they're very vulnerable and, you know, there's nothing that they've done that I'm like, wow, this team is so, so good. Um, I don't love them at quarterback and they have a long way to go before they are back to where they were, I think before the whole season started. So we'll see how it goes. Um, at number three, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars, the team I've been covering for fan-sided for a little bit now. Um, enjoy that very much. The Jags, they've been damn good. I call it the Vinny curse. I made the Jaguars good by starting to cover them. Um, no, they were actually 2-6, and six and they went on a roll. I started covering them right before their last game of the season where they had a chance to you know, make the playoffs. Remember we watched it together? Yeah. Um, yeah, they've been so good. They have weapons all over the offense. Like They haven't even gotten the most out of Evan Ingram. So far this season, like he hasn't even been like this all-world tight end that he had been in the last handful of years, and they're still finding ways to win. I think there's like a thing right now where like Trevor Lawrence is like, I could have 400 yards a game, three touchdowns, and one interception, and you know, maybe we'll win, or we can like lock it down, run the clock, 
be a good running team. We have a good defense. It doesn't have to be balls to the wall. We could be, be smart with our game, manage the game, and that's how we'll win in the NFL. And guess what? That's that's been the Jaguars. They, you know, they're six and two. The I predicted them to have the buy, the playoff buy at the beginning of the year. That's very much in play right now. The Chiefs' offense stinks, so I don't know if they'll lose another game or two before the season's over. I'm sure they will. Um, and then you're competing with the Bengals, who put themselves in an early hole that the Jaguars are already like ahead of them because of that early hole that they're in. The Bengals, they basically have to be flawless the rest of the season to like get like a playoff bye or anything like that. And the Bills, same thing. And then it comes down to a team I still have ahead of them that I'll get to in a little bit that I still think could also be that team with a bye. But they play in the best division, unlike the Jaguars who play in a stinky division. So, you know, the Jaguars, they have a three-game lead in the division already. We're halfway through the season. A three-game lead in the NFL is huge. You know, they're they're six and two. The rest of the division is either three and four or three and five, depending on their bye situation. So as long as the Jaguars continue to play, like, solid football the rest of the way, stay healthy – I, they're firmly a Super Bowl contender for me right at, right at this point in time. Well, I like it. I totally agree. I think, like I said, they're the most impressive team in the NFL, in my opinion. Um, they just find those ways to win. They adapt to key situations depending on who they're playing. Yeah, it's a great pick. I, I don't disagree with them being at three. However, my number three, I have uh, the Baltimore Ravens at number three. Lamar Jackson absolute sharpshooter. He's completing over 70% of his passes this year. He's living up to that large contract, which everyone was a little worried to see how we would perform off of it because, you know, give big contracts. You never know how players will perform in the next season, but he has been lights out. The second half of the season, though, for the Ravens is about to be twice to three times as hard as the first half of the season for the Ravens. But, you know, I think Lamar and company is up for it. But the second half of the Ravens season is almost like the Vegas Golden Knights season from January to April. It's going to be very, very tough for the Ravens. They got some tough matchups. But like I said, I think Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens could overcome it. He's having an incredible year. And I think the Baltimore Ravens are deserving of the top three spot in the NFL. My number two might surprise you, but it's the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill, MVP candidate. Candidate. I love what I'm seeing out of the Dolphins this year. They've had a hiccup against the Bills and the Eagles, two great teams, but they've been great so far. I could see them struggling come the postseason because they're going to have to play teams like the Bills and the Eagles, and it doesn't seem like they could get over that hump and beat teams of that caliber. But through eight weeks, I don't hate what I see. Besides the defense, the defense has been poor, but maybe they could be like the Edmonton Oilers and just outscore their opponents and don't care what they give up. So we'll see. I, I got him at two, though. I, I really like what I've seen from him so far. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll see. I I want to like the Dolphins, man. Their uniforms are sick. They play in Miami. I love Tua. You know, I'm an Alabama guy. I, I really am rooting for him. But eh, the, you, you nailed it right on the head. Their two losses is what makes me think they're frauds. Yeah, can they beat the good teams? I don't think they can. In the Like, they're merchants. They're against the Broncos. They score 70 and they think that that's like the barometer and like, yeah, you have the highest scoring offense. Well, yeah, it's easy. I think if you added 70, if you added 70 points to every team's total right now, would they become the new highest scoring team? I think they would (laughs) almost all, not all of them, not the last place teams, but any of the mid to good teams, if you just slapped 70 on their total right now, 
Um, you know, I think they'd be right there. Um, at number two, I have the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens, not only are they six and two, they're six and two in the best division in the NFL. I could see every team in that division making the playoffs. I warned you about the Browns. We both knew the Steelers would be pretty good. And the Bengals are the Bengals. The Bengals could end up going the farthest out of them all in the playoffs because they have Joe Burrow. And I feel the same way about Lamar. Like, oh my God, feed me with a spoon. Bengals versus Ravens in the AFC title game. Feed it to me with a spoon. I would love that. That would that's probably because the Chiefs are boring right now. Normally I would say Chiefs Ravens or Chiefs Bills or Chiefs um Bengals. Give me a mixture of the Bills, Bengals, or Ravens right now in the AFC title game. Give me one of those. Or the Jags. You know, I like love my Jags and Miami would be cool too. Um, but like, oh my God. Bengals, Ravens, AFC, or just a playoff game in general. Just a playoff game in general. I love watching the Ravens. Lamar is unreal. When he's healthy, he's unreal. I'm telling you, he won the MVP. People, for some reason, he's like the biggest scapegoat in the NFL. Um, People refuse to admit the truth about him. The truth is he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And when he's healthy, he's an MVP candidate every single season. Um. Sorry that he gets hurt every now and again. I think he's adjusted his game a tad to like make that less likely. But what makes him explosive is that way that's a little dangerous. You know, he's going to take some hits, but he's also he's got a pretty ball when he throws it. And I really like uh, Lamar and the Ravens. And that number one, I have the team that just recently jumped into number one. I like this about them. They're seven and one, the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. The Eagles are seven and one, and I think they have far from played their best ball. They've kind of been like a weird seven and one, losing at halftime to the Commanders or whatever the case may be, like struggling in the first half against the Giants and coming out to win anyway. Going down, who'd they go down fourteen nothing to? And the, a bad team, the Panthers. Well, it was the Panthers. Yeah, and they came back and won. Sometimes, and I'm a firm believer that like the regular season is about playing well and getting ready for the playoffs and earning a spot in the playoffs. Well, the Eagles have earned a spot in the playoffs and a bad NFC. They probably only need to win like three or four more games to like kind of like at minimum be a wild card team. And they'll probably win like five or six more and be like a top seed. But they've They've found ways to win close games against good teams, against bad teams. They know what it's like to face adversity. They didn't just roll over everyone. So when the playoffs come around, if they find themselves giving up an opening drive touchdown and they're down 7 nothing before Jalen Hurts ever even touches the football, they know how to deal with that. And they're going to be ready for it in Philly, in Philly weather, with those crazy weirdos in the stands that they call Philly fans. Love Philly fans. It's a Mount Rushmore sports city. I firmly believe that. But, like, man, what the Eagles have been able to do, the tush push, it's become like a national storyline because, and it doesn't work for other teams. Well, that's because you don't have Hall of Famers on your offensive line, and Jalen Hurts, one of the best mobile quarterbacks in the NFL. You don't have Jason Kelsey leading the way pushing. That's why the tush push doesn't work for you. Like, and you don't have Jalen Hurts as your quarterback, you know, a big, strong, muscular quarterback. Things work for the Eagles and not other teams because of the talent that they have. Love them at number one. 
VP has a new number one, and so do I. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. Best record in the NFL, only team with seven wins this season. They've proved that they could beat the best teams in the league to get that great record and do it in a dominant fashion. A.J. Brown making a case for MVP. And the Eagles are just so dominant in the small game when you only need to go a couple yards, like you're saying, the the tush push, or you need to get two yards. They're so, so dominant. They're the best in the NFL when it comes to that. And those are the plays that win games and win Super Bowls. When you need two yards to get the first down to waste the clock. Those are the most crucial moments, I think, of any football game, is how good are you in the the short game, the, the one to three yards range. And they're the best in the NFL. They're dominant. New number one, Philadelphia Eagles on top. Couldn't agree more, Frank. Good, good list. Um, really quick, we'll roll through this. The World Series, three to one in favor of the Texas Rangers. What do you think? Good for them. Good for them. Lead three to one. They have set a postseason record, winning ten games in a row on the road. They also became the only team in MLB postseason history to win nine games in a single postseason, and that doesn't have to be consecutive, but it has been. And now they extended that record to ten games. They're one win away from the World Series. The World Series is on tonight. It could be ended tonight. Um, and each game in the series has uh, really been lopsided, except game three. Um, but the game has really been decided in the first few innings of every game so far, really. And it was even more impressive that the Rangers were able to score 11 yesterday without Adolis Garcia in the lineup. And the Rangers look to make it back-to-back World Series victories for the state of Texas, and they will look to do it tonight with their 11th win on the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can't wait to watch it. Um, The World Series ends tonight in my prediction. Me too. I think there's a World Series champion tonight. We will recap it on Crosstown Crosstalk for you. We're going to do a special show on Friday at 11 a.m. And then if the World Series goes to either game six or seven, um, my plan is to have a special episode on Monday and then take a little break reset the bat the baseball batteries a little bit and come back in a couple weeks but crosstown crosstalk firmly coming at you on friday to you know talk about the world series and probably in my estimation recap the series that was we will see the texas rangers a 3-1 series lead over the d-backs we will see what happens frank it's time oh really quick what are you watching this weekend um you know we started a new netflix show breakpoint it's a tennis documentary oh it's very good each uh, episode has like little clips of players and like their journeys from some of their best moments. It's been really good, very well done. So that's been a, a breath of fresh air, something new to watch. We we don't watch it faithfully, but every once in a while we'll throw it on 10 episodes. I think we've watched three so far. So we're just grinding that a little bit. I know you watch Trick or Treat. I gave my uh, opinion on it last week. I kind of wanted you to give it to some of the people watching what you thought about it. Yeah, the movie kind of stunk, <laughs> but also like I kind of liked it. It was weird. It, that's I how felt, I feel. About I it. felt Halloweeny while watching it, <laughs> which is all I was looking for at the end of the day. So trick yeah. or treat, congrats to that. It's basically until like October is over, but until the World Series is over, it's sports and Big Brother. Loki's great too. I I forgot that Loki's been great too. Hell yeah, hell yeah! I will watch that once once baseball's over and the schedule clears a little bit. I will be back on that grind too. So we'll see. Frank, it's time for America's favorite podcast segment of the week Breaking Bets. Where's my money, bitch? Frank, make the people their money. 
I looked. Seattle is in the graphic. I was looking for it this week. It was in the graphic. So all 32 teams. You forgot about that, didn't you? Totally forgot. And as soon as I saw it, I go, wait, because I forgot about it too. And then I'm like, wait a second. And then, yep, SEA was there. So all 32 teams are in that gra- graphic. Very well done, Aldo. Thank you again for that. For the picks, give me a second. Um, do my little thing I do. Very excited for this week's picks. Um, percentage stayed the absolute same as last week. Nothing new there. Still positive since I started keeping track of since October 11th, so that's great. If you followed me since October 11th, you've lost no money. So literally, I've done you no bad since then. So um, anyway, let me get to your, my picks. I got five picks. I'll kind of run through them fairly quickly here. First pick, Thursday night football tomorrow, Titans and Steelers. I always like to do a pick for Thursday night football that just starts the football week. I enjoy it. The Titans and Will Levi are going to try and come into the Pittsburgh to get a win. Steelers play tough games at home, and one of the strongest weapons for the Steelers is their steel curtain defense. I don't love the total for the first quarter that it's 6.5 instead of 7.5. I usually like doing under 7.5, but I'll risk it for the plus value with teams that are going to struggle to score. I think both teams might struggle to score a little bit. I'm going to take the first quarter under 6.5 in the Steelers-Titans game at plus 114 for one unit. Like I said, I don't love that it's six and a half instead of seven and a half. But listen, if they score a touchdown, so be it. I think it's going to be very hard to score either way, both ways. Might probably be cold in Pittsburgh as well. And uh, I know how good these defenses are right here. So the total set low too. So I'm going to go under six and a half for the first quarter, plus 114. Second pick will come at Sunday. Got the Cowboys at the Eagles. I'm taking the Eagles minus three. Bet to win three units, and I'm also taking the Eagles' money line for five units just because that's how bad the Cowboys are at the, on the road. Prove me wrong, Cowboys, and shut me up. Prove me wrong. Until then, Eagles are going to dominate them. Cowboys are the biggest frauds when it comes to the road, and now they have to play the team who is number one, the team who's number one on my power rankings, uh, uh, rankings on their home soil. Are you kidding me? I think the Eagles pull out the win in this one no matter what, but I could also see see them winning by at least three, probably more than that. Cowboys defense is going to struggle mightily against a team who breaks down teams slowly with their short gains. Cowboys defense is going to be on the field the entire game. So I like the Eagles minus three at minus 112, bet to win three units, and the Eagles money line for five units. Bigger bet there, more confident. Moving on to or to baseball. This is my last MLB pick of the year for breaking bets, so I had to include an MLB pick. And it's hard to fade the, fade the Rangers right now when they're 10-0 on the road this year and playing baseball at such an elite level. I'm going to back them to win tonight. Rangers money line minus 115. Avaldi's pitched great this postseason. Gallon has done the same on the other side, but this Rangers team doesn't want to travel back to Texas where they haven't been nearly as potent. They just want to get it over with. They want to win the World Series and make it back-to-back World Series for the state of Texas, I think it gets done tonight. So Rangers money line minus 115 to win two units, bet to win two units. And my final pick, just because I like to, I wasn't gonna, but then I'm like, I like to include a hockey pick because we're a hockey show mainly. Uh, Dallas Stars play the Calgary Flames. I just think there's tremendous value in the Dallas Stars money line at minus 135. Calgary Flames look terrible. They've lost five in a row. They Markstrom's been terrible, giving up bad goals. They're gonna play. 
they are going to have to play exceptionally without making many mistakes. The margin for error is extremely small if they expect to get out of this game with a win. And in a season where they've made many mistakes, I don't see how they don't make many mistakes to this Dallas Stars team who is just going to eat them alive and take advantage of that. So I think the Calgary Flames get their sixth loss in a row uh, of the year. Um, and I like the Dallas Stars money line at minus 135. Um, I think two units on that one. We'll bet to win two units on that one. Very, very good, Frank. Hopefully America makes a lot of money listening to your picks on Breaking Bets. This is your segment. You're the man. Um, I can't thank everybody enough for watching our show today. It has been an absolute pleasure. I can't encourage you enough to go follow at the King Bean on Twitter. I'm at Vinny Parisi. And make sure you read all of our shit on Fansided at Trigger.com for Frankie Mueller. One of the five places I post articles for Fansided as well. Puck Pros, Pucks and Pitchforks, The Windy City, Southside Showdown, and Black and Teal. I hope everybody enjoys it. Enjoy the Christmas season is really going to start kicking up here now that we are in November and Halloween is in the rearview mirror. I hope everybody had a fun, safe Halloween, and I can't wait to be with you all next week on Bardon Talking Hockey. And of course, on Friday, I will be here doing uh, Crosstown Crosstalk, recapping what probably will be the World Series that was. And I hope everybody, you guys go on and have a great wet rest of your week. Make sure you check out all the programs here on the Barroom Network. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.